Check this out. No one knows New York better. The founder of the Guardian Angels, Curtis Lewa. And you can't compete against that. On 77 WABC. Cryptocurrency Ponzi schemers and blockchain criminals. But FTX is just one of many companies that are going to implode, and rightfully so, because it's all a scam, all a scam. We're going to get into that big time because I have the only interview of Zhao who is the competitor to FTX Binance. He runs that company. Probably a puppet of empire. <laughs> the emperor of Red China. G for life. And this guy, oh my God, this guy. There's so much about him. Although he looks like the bad guy in the James Bond movie. Remember Zhao? Remember they're all supervillains. You know, North Korean, prisoner exchange. It was James Bond, die another day with this guy, Xiao. Looks just like him. Although he didn't have much of a talking part in that James Bond flick, die another day. We'll get to that momentarily because right now, the number one story has to do with the hawk is talking. And the hawk is talking because it's cold out there. It's below freezing. And the city of New York, through the Department of Health, has declared this, wow, a code blue, which means it's below freezing, so wherever the homeless might be, they can be forcibly removed from the streets, the subways, the parks, whatever their hovel is, and forcibly brought to a shelter. You would think that they would put into effect code blue each and every day, right? But they don't. But immediately... What happened when they announced Code Blue? In the Bronx, Concourse Village, in the shadow of Yankee Stadium near 161st Street, the Mameluke, known as Hawk Newsom, leader of uh, <laughs> Black Lives Matter. You remember Hawk, right? I'm going to burn this mother down. He immediately issued a tweet. Yeah, yeah, Elon Musk has allowed him on Twitter. Oh, yeah, but guess who's back on Twitter? Kanye West. Surprise! He said, I'm back on Twitter? Holy cow! Almost uh, right out of the days of Phil Rizzuto. Meantime, Donald Trump said, you sold me wolf tickets, Elon Musk. You said you had all those uh, tro trolls there on Twitter, and then you claim I win an election to come back on Twitter. Psych! I'm not coming back. But so Hawk Newsom, the vile leader of 
Black Lives Matter in New York objects to the fact that when we have a freeze emergency, the city of New York calls it code blue. He says, is this another way of saying blue lives matter? Oh, my God, man. Get a life, you mama Luke. Lives with his mother up there in Concourse Village. Drives an Escalade. Oh, yeah, all hooked up, all bling blinged out. It's close to $100,000. Where'd you get the money, man? Where'd you get the money? But anyway, let's take you to where the whole world was watching. It's 7 p.m. earlier tonight in, in the frozen tundra of the Barclays Center on Atlantic Avenue in downtown Brooklyn. And there were a group of protesters outside on behalf of Kyrie Irving, who was returning to the hardwood after having taken a hiatus of eight games so that he could jump through various hoops and prove he truly was not an anti-Semite. He is. Uh, But he had to go through those hoops. Doesn't matter. His homeboys were outside, the black Hebrew Israelites, and they didn't care about the cold in their medieval garb with their staffs in their hand. And they were screaming, anti-Semitic, anti-white, anti-LGBTQ+, xenophobic, misogynistic statements, which is their trademark. And they were out there proudly and supported their homeboy, Kyrie Irving. Let me just give you a normal sample of what we have to deal with, especially we white people who they call crackers. Or if you happen to be a Ashkenazi Jew, white Jew, or even a Sephardic Jew, that means your complexion is a little olive skin, a little dark. They actually refer to them as sand fleas. Yeah, not my words, the black Hebrew Israelites. Just give you an idea when you pass by this group that is in Times Square, outside at 34th Street Penn Station, downtown Newark Broad, Market Street, Center City, Philadelphia, and in urban areas throughout America. This is what they have to say about the Holocaust. Six million for the Holocaust. Are you saying the Holocaust is a joke? It's a joke. That's right. That's right. Think Sid Rosenberg will flex in front of those homies? And then they go on to say, okay, the Holocaust existed, but it was good. Six million crackers died. So if you're watching the news, you see all these screwballs running around in medieval cars. With their staffs, screaming these invectives in support of Kyrie Irving tonight. Now, they've been out there three times before at Barclays Center, but they didn't get any play. But obviously, you can't ignore them tonight. The whole world is watching. And what was this based on? Kyrie Irving, press conference number one, he imploded. Press conference number two, he imploded because he insisted. He could not be an anti-Semite in the words of Kanye, a.k.a. Ye, Yeezy. And in the words of Nick Cannon, who said exactly the same thing, the Black Ryan Seacrest. This is what Kyrie Irving had to say. I cannot be anti-Semitic if I know where I come from. 
He cannot be anti-Semitic if he knows where he comes from. That's exactly what the black Hebrew Israelites perpetuate, the nonsense. They claim that they are the true Israelites of the Bible and perpetuate the anti-Semitic belief that so-called Jews have stolen their identity and birthright. I guess that's like what we accuse the Red Chinese of, theft of intellectual property, right? Trademarks, copyrights, all that. By the way, has the trillionaire owner of the Brooklyn Nets, who claims he's from Taiwan, I wonder, a.k.a. Formosa, is he a toy of Emperor Xi? Emperor for life for Red China in Beijing to be continued here. But also, um, and nobody has picked up on this yet, and nobody will, and I'm going to throw it by Dominic Carter, the righteous, Euro-Asiatic black man when he comes in, because I'm going to see if he has the guts, the coolions, the huevos, to ask a question that I've been asking, but mainstream media does not want to ask Curtis. Come on. <laughs> He's going to become the Speaker of the House of Representatives. Team Jeffries. He's going to first become the majority leader and eventually when the Democrats win control of the House, because they always do, it flip-flops back and forth. He will be number three in the line of ascension. President, vice president, speaker of the House. Why do you keep bringing up, Curtis, the fact that his uncle, Dr. Leonard Jeffries, the tenured professor at City University in charge of black studies, the most virulent anti-Semite who has ever existed in New York City. And let me say, that's saying a hell of a lot, if you know as many anti-Semites as I do. This guy's still alive. Do you think, reporters out there, that you might scrape the barnacles off your backside, get your rear in gear, and say, wow, that guy's name is Dr. Leonard Jeffries. I wonder if there's any relationship to Hakeem Jeffries. Hell yes, there is. That's his uncle, brother of his father. Dr. Leonard Jeffries is still alive, spewing this anti-Semitism. And Hakeem Jeffries was raised under it. In fact, actually traveled to Egypt, where Dr. Leonard Jeffries would take pilgrimages and explain to the young minds of African-American boys and girls, don't believe that white cracker nonsense. You know who invented flight? It wasn't the Wright brothers. It wasn't those two crackers in North Carolina. It was the black Nubian people from the Sudan, B.C., before Christ, in Egypt. Like, man, what drug is this guy taking? And then probably the one that got me into more arguments with brothers. When I'd be in Times Square and I'd be watching those three martial arts flicks of Run Run Shaw for $5. Yep, all the brothers were there. They had their toolies. It's okay, jump in the air, right, do a spinning hook kick, and I'll shoot you with my nine. And sometimes they would actually shoot the screen. But brothers would come up to me talking that nonsense that, you know, it was in the Chinese. It was in the monks who invented martial arts. The Shaolin Warriors. You know who invented martial arts? The Nubian people before Christ in Egypt. And I'd have to sit and listen to that crap. But you see, I would fight back. I wouldn't just be there whole. Maybe you're right. Maybe we need to do further research. Maybe we need to go to Mali to where Timbuktu was. 
and see if any of the black scholars who were renowned from the Moors or North Africa had written about that, written about the fact that black Nubian peoples had invented martial arts before Christ. First time you're hearing it, right? But then again, that's what the black Hebrew Israelites will tell you. That's what Dr. Leonard Jeffries will tell you. In fact, let me give you, let me give you a little hors d'oeuvre of what the uncle of Hakeem Jeffries used to spew on a regular basis all across this nation. It was discussed on every program in the early 90s. Here is Dr. Leonard Jeffries, the most vile, virulent anti-Semite ever to walk the streets of New York City, talking about the Jews in Hollywood with a man that I loathe, I detest, I despise. Remember Charlie Rose from PBS, that perv? A man who had me on in 1992, Matt Blaze? I don't believe that's your name. It sounds to me like you're the fugitive with all those aliases. And you can... Runway model that Frank Morano from the worst side of the other side of midnight, who will be here from 1 to 5 starting this week, he seems to have an infatuation with you, Ken. He forgives you for every one of your faux pas. But you caused me to digress. Here he is. I want you to listen. The acorn doesn't fall far from the tree. Isn't that what they say? Unless the squirrels come by and pick it up. Doesn't fall far from the tree. This is Dr. Leonard Jeffries talking about Jews in Hollywood. Was every ethnic group involved in the making of Hollywood and the negative images of African peoples? Was every ethnic group involved in the making of the Sambo image, in the making of the Stephen Fletcher? Yes. Which was the ethnic group that had a particular interest in that, a particular influence in that? Why can't we get at the truth of that? That's not a defamation of all Jews. It's a defamation of European Jewry that was participating in white supremacy but in America. Say things, reflecting when a you of white say supremacy. that, Professor Jeffries, there you go. You raise the flag of a whole group of people rather than... What did it end there? How did it end there? Anyway, you missed the best part. Dr. Leonard Jeffries, the vile, anti-Semite, white-hater that he was and still is, he's still alive, actually blamed East European Jews for, for actually controlling the slave trade out of a Jewish synagogue in Amsterdam and also being responsible for white supremacy in America. And this guy was a tenured professor. This guy was the head of black studies. This guy poisoned a generation of young people of color who wanted to hear Dr. Leonard Jeffries, wanted to hear him. In fact, they did anything they could to get into his classes. (laughs) He just so happens to be the uncle who had the most important influence over Hakeem Jeffries who has said he will become the next majority leader in the House of Representatives. By the way, somewhere in Arlington, Virginia, across the Potomac, is Crooked Joe Crowley, who used to be the congressman that was next in line to replace Nancy Pelosi. And he's saying to himself, oh, my God, could have been me, could have been me. I'm always always sitting on the bench. I'm always waiting. I'm waiting. I'm going to give you a factoid right here, Matt Blaze, Ken, and where's Alex uh, with his nose right up to Tukas of Frank Morano, his nighttime producer? 
Crooked Joe Crowley, who got beat, whooped by AOC all out crazy, Alexander Ocasio-Cortez, leader of the Democratic Socialists of America, the Justice Warriors. The uh, cocktail waitress, remember. And she whooped him good because he was never in his district, which consisted of part Queens, part Bronx. He was always in Arlington, Virginia, in his mansion. And when he was growing up, Matt Blaze, you know what high school he went to? No longer in existence. Power, Power Memorial, run by the Christian brothers. They'd hit you so hard your mother would feel the vibrations. Right there on the west side where Lincoln Center is. Fordham University now. Do you know what his claim to fame was before he became Crooked Joe Crowley, congressman from Queens, the Bronx, and the head of the Crooked Democratic Machine on Austin Street in Forest Hills? You know what his claim to fame was? He was the replacement center on the bench at Power Memorial for who? Lou Alcindor, a.k.a. Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. He never played a minute in any game. He just sat and sat and waited and schwitzed like the big white Irish guy he was. Never called because Lou Alcindor, a.k.a. Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, even when they were blowing out the opposition, would stay in the game. And he was on the bench waiting for Nancy Pelosi to leave and... Could have been Speaker Crooked Joe Crowley, but AOC took him out. But how come nobody's talking about Dr. Leonard Jeffries, his influence on Hakeem Jeffries? Oh, man, am I going to stick it to Dominic Carter? Great gumshoe reporter originally busted his shoes reporting for WBLS, inner city broadcasting. It doesn't get any blacker than that. We're going to see if he has the coolions to invite Hakeem Jeffries on his show at night, 12 midnight to 1, brother to brother, and say, you believe all that crap that your uncle used to say and still says? Nobody has asked him. Nobody. And you don't think he's going to come on with yours truly, Curtis Leland? He's probably sitting there. But the return of Kyrie Irving tonight, downtown Brooklyn, Barclays Center. On one side, you know who's sitting there. Let's see, we got Farrakhan, who told him not to do it. We got uh, Kanye, who's back with Twitter. Oh, my God! Elon Musk put me back on Twitter. You got Professor Griff, the anti-Semite, loves Farrakhan. Oh, you got Nick Cannon there. They're sitting there. Yeah, Kyrie, yeah, Kyrie. Don't, don't give up your anti-Semitism. In the middle, Senate court was Dave Chabelle right before the ball toss. And on the mighty whiteys, McWhitey's Jewish side was our own Rabbi Joe Potasnik, a phenomenal fan of basketball. He loves the Boston Celtics with his son. Uh, also there was, uh, oh, yeah, Seinfeld. You know, he loves the Knicks. Uh, he was uh, front and center. Howard Stern, he loves the uh, best. Jews love basketball. They can't play. But they love to pay and watch black guys run up and down the court, dunk, shoot, occasional white guys from Lithuania. You know, they love that. They love that. Without Jews in Barclays Center, without Jews in Madison Square Garden, paying outrageous prices, you'd have 20% of the fans in the stands. It's going to be very interesting. I see an issue reports indicate that the crowd wasn't all that favorable or all that hostile. I wonder 
what the reaction of the Jewish fans were. And if any of them stood and gave Kyrie a standing ovation, they should impale themselves with a menorah. WABC, and if you can't be with the one you love, honey, not the one you win. Classic. Crosby, Stills, Nash, and Young. This was the battle cry for the crypto Ponzi scammers of FTX, the Bitcoin bandits, the blockchain criminals. There were ten, count them, ten, who graduated the Massachusetts Institute of Technology and naturally thought they were brighter than anybody else, except for their uh, adversaries at Carnegie Mellon in Pittsburgh. Right? Yeah, they all think they're the brightest. <laughs> They're intellectually stupid. And this is coming from a high school dropout, Curtis Sliwa, who in my senior year at Brooklyn Prep in 1972, the Jesuits shined their boots on my backside, kicked me to the curb, and I've never looked back. There is basic street smarts here. You should have seen this coming from FTX. A guy named Sam Bankman Freed. Never trust anybody with three names, right? Never trust anybody. This looked like a 15-year-old kid falling out of his bunk bed in summer camp who had been smoking ragweed the night before, right? And they're throwing millions of dollars, millions of dollars, a million investors into FTX and its Bitcoin. A million investors. He personally had $18 billion. The assets of the company was $32 billion. Poof! Puff goes the magic dragon. It's all gone. And he may well be on the way to either Dubai or Argentina to do the last tango in Buenos Aires and get on the lamb to some country that does not have an extradition treaty with the United States. But the reason we're playing Crosby, Stills, Nash, and Young now is he's, he's with a group of his fellow graduates. It's, it's gone beyond Animal House. It's men and women there who work to screw you and steal your money every day in the Bahamas where they're in a tax shelter, they're protected by the crooked Bahamian government who also had their beak in the trough before the collapse of FTX. And you know what they do all day, Matt Blaze? They take legal amphetamines, a.k.a. Adderall. That's why there's a shortage of Adderall on the market. And they have polyamorous relationships. Men with, men with women, trees, birds, monkeys, you name it, they have those kind of sexual relationships. And, in fact, his girlfriend, who is now the CEO since he has fled, has said, I believe in the Chinese harem theory, that it's survival of the fittest, that you pull your way up by being a concubine to that man who supersedes all others. And these were the people that were spoken to on a regular basis, that people were investing their money to hand over fist. And just a few months ago, everybody was gaga goo gaga goo about Sam Bankman Freed. And listen to, listen to the interviewer who was all gaga goo at MSNBC. How did you do this so quickly? I mean, your company is two years old, and you're doing something like $400 billion worth of volume per month, which is 25 times what you did a year ago. How did you get the uptake uh, at scale so fast? You know, it, it was really just a lot of small things put together, a lot of decisions that we've made around how to build the product, 
trying to be as responsive as we can to customers, to regulators, to counterparties. And, you know, uh, you know, honestly, from our perspective, it's it sometimes feels like the world is just going sort of in slow motion around us and that we're going at, you know, about an average speed by our standards. About an average speed. The guy was running a Ponzi scheme and making money hand over fist. If you want to know anything about Sam Bankman Freed, remember that movie, Dr. Evil? Remember when Dr. Evil gave you an idea of who he was and where he came from? Well, where do I begin? My father was a relentlessly self-improving boulangerie owner from Belgium with low-grade narcolepsy and a penchant for buggery. My mother was a 15-year-old French prostitute named Chloe with webbed feet. My father would womanize, he would drink, he would make outrageous claims like he invented the question mark. Sometimes he would accuse chestnuts of being lazy, the sort of general malaise that only the genius possess and the insane lament. My childhood was typical. Summers in Rangoon, luge lessons. In the spring, we'd make meat helmets. When I was insolent, I was placed in a burlap bag and beaten with reeds. Pretty standard, really. In fact, he was the evil seed of two Stanford University law professors. In Palo Alto, California, if you've ever been to Palo Alto on one side, the rich, the wealthy, the catered to, people who think they're entitled to, they've never been to East Palo Alto on the other side of the interstate. One square mile long that the Guardian Angels patrol, it is hell. But anyway, I digress. We'll save that for another day. So apparently this is how the implosion took place, where FDX with assets... $32 billion was wiped off the map since November 2nd. You would have blinked and they were gone. Meantime, he's got $18 billion. Both of them had gone to visit the crown prince of the House of Fraud in Saudi Arabia because they were trying to get him to invest billions of dollars into their type of Bitcoin. So you had Sam Bankman-Fried... And right away, the crown prince with the shmanta on his head, killer of Khashoggi. By the way, he's been given immunity by Joe Biden. That's right. He's been immunized. He blinked Joe Biden like all other presidents. They buck, they bow, they kiss the hand of the fake, phony, fraudulent crown prince of Saudi Arabia. Bush 43 did it. Uh, Obama did it. And, yeah, remember Trump. He had the sword dance with him in Saudi Arabia. Immunized. Oh, no, he didn't commit the murder. No, no, he's not responsible. But anyway, there was the crown prince sitting there with the schmata on his head. And the Jew came in, Sam Bankman Free. Now, they don't like Jews over in Saudi Arabia unless you come with a lot of shekels. And then all of a sudden they listen. And Sam Bankman Freed made him an offer he thought that the crown prince could not refuse. But then all of a sudden, Sam Bankman-Fried went back to his hotel room, and the next one up was the second biggest Bitcoin business in the world, Binance, run by Zhao, an infamous person there who apparently, uh, according to uh, Sam Bankman-Fried, who was a, a good friend of his, in fact, Zhao had invested a lot of money 
into FTX to buy their Bitcoin. But apparently Sam Bankman Fried to try to get a one-upmanship with the Crown Prince said, man, you can't trust Yao. He's under investigation for falsely selling Bitcoin derivatives, insider trading information. Man, Interpol is going to arrest him any minute. He can't even go to Washington. So what did the Crown Prince do? He liked to see two pit bulls go at one another, so he tells Yao, hey, your very dear friend, right? <laughs> Sam Bankman Freed said you're a fraud. So what did he do after that meeting? He pulled all of his money out of FTX, the Bitcoin. He cashed it out. Everybody around the world said he must know something we don't. They went to try to cash out at FTX, and they imploded. Gone. All the money, gone. So all of a sudden, CNBC tracked down Zhao in parts unknown. We don't know where Zhao is. And he was asked a question about his friendship with Sam the Man Bankman-Fried. On a very personal basis, how, how you think about Sam? And, and the reason I ask is I think at some point, obviously, you were friends. You were his original investor in all of this. Can you fathom that yeah. he lied to you like this, if that's the case? Yeah, so I'm very shocked that I, I, I obviously did not know him until about a week or so ago. Um, so I'm, I'm just shocked. Um, I'm, I'm shocked that, you know, he lied to everybody. You didn't know him till a week ago? I didn't know what kind of person. I didn't know that he lied to everybody until a week, a week ago. So, CZ, just, just getting back to just what this means for uh, oh, the future on, of stop, just crypto. <laughs> He's the biggest investor in FTX. Zhao of Binance. He's partied with the guy. There's videos. There's pictures, right? They're hanging from trees, fornicating and copulating with monkeys in Rangoon. They're freaks. They tell you they pop Adderall all day. That's a legal form of amphetamines. You can't find Adderall. You they run out of prescriptions because all these cryptocurrency Ponzi schemers, these Bitcoin bandits, and these blockchain criminals have been popping Adderall to stay up twenty four seven three six five. Now, you understand this was his best buddy. His best buddy, FTX would not be in business. If not for Zhao and his relationship with Sam Bankman-Fried. Remember, never trust anybody with three names. So listen, the first time he's interviewed, he never saw the guy before in his life. Could you play that again, please? Play that again. Basis, how you think about Sam. And, and the reason I ask is I think at some point, obviously, you were friends. You were his original investor in all of this. Can you fathom that yeah. he lied to you like this, if that's the case? Yeah, so I'm very shocked that I, I obviously did not know him until about a week or so ago. Um, so I'm, I'm just shocked. Um, I'm, I'm shocked that, stop, you know, he stop, lied to him. Stop, His biggest investor, and he only, he only knew of him last week. Man, these folks got to be taken to jail. We're going to have an implosion. This is all going to come down like a deck of cards. And then these crooks are going to want to be bailed out like the big banks got bailed out in 2008, the hedge fund monsters, and all the scam artists on Wall Street with our tax dollars. I'm telling you now, Sam Bankman-Fried went to Washington, D.C. and dropped a billion dollars on elected officials, including Joe Biden's attempt to topple Donald Trump, right? Only Soros... Spent more money with Democrats. And he also backed some Republicans, too. 
But let's hear from Zhao as he defends crypto as being an honest and safe investment. Just just one big house of cards um, across the board, Susie. And I, I, I'm sure that you don't think it's a house of cards, but uh, do we push the time frame out for when it happens? Um, I think, well, first of all, I, I, as you said, I don't think it's a house of cards. Um, there are fundamental technologies that are much better than the tools we had to transact, to raise money to do uh, global payments, et cetera. So there's a fundamental technologies that are much better than the tools we had before. So it's definitely not a house, uh, a house of cards. Um, at the same time, I'm not very good at price predictions. Um, I don't do those things. Um, I think there are smarter people out there that seem to have some formula to predict it, and I don't believe those things anyway. So um, uh, I think fundamentally, though, uh, if you look at the industry five years, ten years from now, the industry will be much, much bigger. Oh, so now he's not a smart guy. There are other people who are smarter, which immediately he's dissing himself from Binance. Not me. Smarter guys than me have made these decisions for my company. Lock this guy up before he flees. Before he flees, by the way. Where does everybody flee? Outside of Bali and Indonesia where they had the uh, uh, climate... uh, Exchange Conference of International Leaders. There is an island there with a king. It's oil rich. When you're in trouble, you go there. Nobody can get to you. What is that kingdom? And Who's in charge there? And when Russell Simmons, that's right, formerly the founder of Def Jam, was in trouble because of all the rape allegations, he went to this place. And as long as you pay your money, you have a sanctuary. What place am I talking about? 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. Not far from uh, Borneo. Not far uh, from Malaysia. It's right in that triangle, so to speak, with Indonesia. By the way, here is Zhao, who's claiming he's Pontius Pilate. He's been a good actor. He runs a, <laughs> a safe crypto industry but there are a lot of bad actors out there. Um, I think reg- regulations could minimize some of the problems. But when a person lies, uh, when, when there's a bad player that just want to do bad things, regulations doesn't prevent it. Uh, having banning guns doesn't, doesn't mean that some, no one will just take a gun and shoot somebody. Um, that's just one person going crazy or lying or just a bad player. So I think regulations will help but you will not eliminate this, this problem. So we shouldn't blame this problem on, on, on any single person other than Sam. Um, but everybody in the industry do share a bit of a responsibility. Now, nah, I couldn't quite figure that out. Everyone in the industry does share some responsibility, but it's really Sam. He's the bad actor. And notice, he knows he's talking to the American audience. So how does he try to get him on his side? Talking about guns. It's not guns that kill people. It's people. Now, you know he doesn't believe that. He's trying to buy himself some time. This guy's a crook. They're all crooks. Lock him up! But they're going to buy their way out of this. They're going to buy their way out of this. And more importantly, when it all comes tumbling down, like Humpty Dumpty, who took a great fall, they're going to want all the sucker taxpayers to put them all back together at our expense. Enron, think about that. Those were the Republicans who benefited. FTX, the Democrats, for the most part, who benefited. I mean, we can go right on down the line. 
And then subprime mortgages, both the Democrats and Republicans, benefited. Remember, subprime mortgage. You knew that was going to implode in four or five years. But they put their beaks in the trough. And then when it imploded and almost took down the world economy, who bailed out those thieves? Not one of them went to jail. Not one. Us. Like we always do. You trust Yao? Like I said, if you never saw Zhao before, of course not. You're not going to see Zhao. He looks exactly like the bad guy in the James Bond movie, Die Another Day. You know, they're all super villains. Remember he was involved in that prisoner exchange with Kim Jong mentally ill behind the kimchi curtain of North Korea? For James Bond. You want to know what he looks like? It's like that. By the way, that may be the last interview he does to try to save his neck as he will be on the lam. He knows somebody's going to want to talk to him. Can you believe this, the, the chutzpah? Maxine Waters claimed, oh, we want him to come before a House committee. I mean, you talk about somebody who scammed her way morning, noon, and night. Maxine Waters. Oh, I can't wait for her to cross-examine this guy. All of a sudden, Maxine will say to uh, <clears throat> her chief of staff, uh, what's in the bank account now? Half hour later, what's in the bank account? Oh, good, good. Uh, that, that's uh, $125 million. No problems. We'll take good care of Zhao. It's all a scam. It's all a Ponzi scheme. And we are going to be asked to pay for all this. And you know something? Who's ever in charge who ultimately makes the final decision. You want to trust Janet Yellen to make this decision, the Treasury Secretary? You know where she's supposed to be November 3rd, 30th? On the stage in Lincoln Center, sponsored by the New York Times, the old gray lady. Zelensky from the Ukraine's going to be there. And guess who was supposed to be the third person? That's right, Sam Bankman Freed. What does the Ukraine have to do with FTX? Inquiring minds want to know. You know, if I was on that congressional committee, I would say Zelensky. Yeah, you can zoom it. I understand. You're giving us an update about the war there. And we're paying for this day in, day out. What's your relationship, uh, Zelensky, with Sam Bankman Fried? How come there's so many Ukrainian investments that went into FTX? And all of a sudden, before they collapsed... (laughs) All of those investments were withdrawn. Can you answer that, President Zelensky? And then he becomes the king of all comedy, like he used to be before. And he'll try to tap dance and tell a few jokes. This is all corrupt. 1-800-848-9222. WABC. Check this out. No one knows New York better. The founder of the Guardian Angels, Curtis Lewa. And you can't compete against that. On 77 WABC. Every time you come around, you know I can't say no. Every time the sun goes down, I let you take control. A million people were scammed. Every one of them was told, oh, you want to get in on FTX? Another Bernie Madoff scam, right? Except 
the junior varsity was here from MIT, right? Ten of them living uh, in a polyamorous animal house situation in the Bahamas, protected by that corrupt government. And you would call them up, and Sam, depending on your net worth, because they'd have the computer up, and they wouldn't determine how much uh, you had and what you've invested in. If you were a whale, Sam would get on the phone and say, well, you'd like to get in and buy some Bitcoin? Absolutely, absolutely. Well, you got to send your money offshore here to the Bahamas. Send your money offshore? You're crazy. You might never get it back. And, oh, by the way, you'll have your Bitcoin, your FTX Bitcoin, stored on our exchange here in the Bahamas. And uh, we'll give you a password so you can check up on it. And then schmucks and putzes that they are. If you lose your password, you lose your Bitcoin. Bye-bye. How many times did you lose your password? Oh, quickly. And then they text you a new password. It could be your phone. It could be Facebook, Instagram, whatever, right? Within seconds, you got to get your password right away before it disappears. No, no. In Bitcoin, they hold your Bitcoin in an exchange offshore. And if you lose that little piece of paper that you had your password on, bye-bye. You have to be like Dutch Schultz used to be. Fliegenheimer was his real name. He used to keep everything memorized, all the numbers, all the policy wheels. If if not, you lost everything. Why would anybody get involved in this? You know who got involved in this early on? Eric Adams, swagger man with no plan. Show me the money. What did you truncate? Show me the money. Man, you truncated that, man. Show me the money. Show me the money. That's what it's all about. I'm telling you, man, the crew here from Frank Morano is sabotaging me. Did you give that a briss? But anyway, ladies and gentlemen, let me explain to you how deep our mayor is into this Bitcoin Michigan. And he's not alone. His running mate is a Republican mayor named Suarez in Miami. And uh, both of them have been out there disciples of Bitcoin, of blockchain, of cryptocurrency. In fact, remember initially when uh, Mayor Adams got elected and was sworn in, his first few paychecks were in Bitcoin, and it collapsed. And all of a sudden, he's not getting paid in Bitcoin. But he has advocated, because he has been wine-dined in pocket line by the Bitcoin bandits, the cryptocurrency Ponzi schemers, and the blockchain criminals. He's been wine-dined in pocket line by them. And he goes out there, and he actually says he wants to set up in New York City, not far from Wall Street, not far from Tribeca. The cryptocurrency criminal enterprise of the world, where it will be a tax shelter and it will be their sanctuary. And he wants no regulations. And it's not just him. Suarez, the Republican uh, mayor down in Miami, who was up here in New York recently. I had an opportunity to sit with him and so many others who were asking him questions Especially like, hey, you know, Hurricane Ida is just hitting Florida. What the hell are you doing up here? He was getting wine dined in pocket line by a lot of Eric Adams supporters, the Carone family that was setting up fundraisers because he wants to run for the presidency. 
Yeah, yeah. First Latino president. Now, what's he best known for? He's in the back pocket of cryptocurrency, of Bitcoin bandits, of blockchain criminals. In fact, Eric Adams went down to Miami soon after his inauguration for a one-day conference about how New York City would become the crypto-criminal epicenter of activity in the world. And Suarez said, you're my friend, Eric Adams, but we will compete for that because we here in Miami think we should be the epicenter of white-collar crime. By the way, a little side note for somebody who thinks she's going to be president of the United States over my dead body, Suarez, after I asked him a question, hey, how's the drug problem in Miami? We don't have a drug problem. Uh, Suarez, this is Curtis Lee with Guardian Angels. You know, I'm patrolled over town, Liberty City, drug-infested neighborhoods of Miami. We don't have a drug problem. Okay, how about the fentanyl problem that everybody... We don't have a fentanyl problem. And, of course, all he's interested in is these cryptocurrency Ponzi schemers, many of whom now live in Puerto Rico. They've been provided a tax shelter there by the governor. Just like years ago in the 50s, remember, the Commonwealth of Puerto Rico became a tax haven for refineries of oil, uh, chemical refineries, and the pharmaceutical industry. Boy, that was huge. And the Commonwealth needed it back then because no business wanted to settle on the Commonwealth. They preferred to settle in third world countries or like the Hess refinery in the Virgin Islands. Remember, it's gone. No longer there. See, I'm, I'm, I'm giving you a little back information. This is overwhelming the Frank Morano staff here. Ken's eyes are rolling in his head like, oh, my God. I could barely keep up with him from the start of the show. Our telephone talent coordinator, the runway model who gets lost two days out of the five-day week, coming across the bridge to Phillipsburg, New Jersey, across the river from Easton, and can't seem to find his way to the studios here at New York City. That's why Avery, my telephone talent coordinator, on the best side of the other side of midnight, Saturday mornings for six hours and Sunday mornings for six hours, sometimes is on loan to the worst side of the other side of midnight, hosted by Frank Morano Monday through Fridays from 1 to 5. And, of course, we have Matt Blaze here. He's a little bit more hip, but we lost him about ten minutes ago. And, of course, Alex, uh, the nighttime producer, has his uh, schnoz all the way up. Frank Stukas, the biggest brown nose I've ever seen in my life. By the way, hey, uh, Alex, I'm still waiting for that Al Sharpton article. Uh, I'll be waiting a month of Sundays. I'll be drooling here. I'll be waiting to go to the Bluebird special, you know, when I'm down in Florida where you go to die or to invest in Bitcoin, cryptocurrency, or blockchain. Oh, God. <laughs> Wait a second. He gets better. So we know that Tom Brady and his wife have gone Splitsville, right? And they divided up millions and millions of dollars. It turns out that Tom Brady and his wife, Giselle Bunchen, you know, the Brazilian bombshell, over 10 years have donated 0.1% of their wealth to charities. You talk about somebody who throws around nickels like manhole covers? Or maybe he thinks it's deflated footballs. But anyway, cheapskate. The other day, Tom Brady was in Brooklyn Heights buying a $15 slice of pizza while Arsid Rosenberg was joining us and giving out ticket uh, turkeys. 
11,000 of them provided by John Katsimatidis and Gristidis and D'Agostino for the people who are badly in need of food and foodstuffs for this holiday com- that we're coming up to. Uh, Joe Sano and Father Francis outside of St. John's, uh, uh, St. John's, the Baptist Church, which is on 30th and 7th in the shadow of Madison Square Garden. And, and Sid Rosenberg comes up with a bum slice, a dollar slice. I said, Sid, Tom Brady has a $15 slice of pizza, and he's smiling. He got over like a fat rat. He got millions from FTX for doing this commercial. What's up? I'm getting into crypto. With FTX, you in? We're providing gives 360-degree access to the crypto markets with the ability to trade everything from alts to DeFi. I believe I'm in, but still hate you. Understood. Take care. Best of the family. Is he in? Yep. Did he say he hates you? He did. Even on the phone, that guy sounds handsome. So they ripped off tens of thousands of investors. They're being sued. There's a class action suit. And just if you couldn't follow it, because it was a little convoluted, Tom Brady and his ex were calling all of their friends, trying to convince them to use FTX. The uh, other voices were based in Boston, and they were saying, Tom, you're a traitor for leaving Boston. But still, I can't deny that FTX is a good way to make money. Lock them all up. And then, oh, oh yeah, Larry David. So many of you love Larry David, right, from Seinfeld. Larry David, the curmudgeon. Larry David from the Upper West Side. Larry David, what, what, what is HBO? What, what's that program that he's on now? A stream of consciousness. Oh, Larry David. He's, so, he, he, he's the Democrat, remember? Oh, lifelong Democrat. Remember he was on Martha's Vineyard. Wouldn't even open up his mansion to any of the illegals from Venezuela. Like, remember that scene where he shut the door on the Girl Scouts selling their Samoan cookies and their Thin Mints? And then he made millions on this commercial that was played during the Super Bowl. Millions for a cameo appearance for the ripoff company known as FTX. Like I was saying, it's FTX. It's a safe and easy way to get into crypto. Yeah, I don't think so. And I'm never wrong about this stuff. Never. Yeah, meantime, he was getting paid. And what about Jim Cramer, that fake, phony, fraudulent uh, predictor of wealth on CNBC? You know, his claim to fame was he went to Princeton University. And you know who his roommate was? Elliot Spitzer. That's right. Elliot Spitzer, who should have gone to federal jail for violation of the Mann Act for transporting prostitutes across state lines. But he resigned as governor. And as a result, who moved into the executive mansion and to... uh, the governor's mansion on uh, Lark Street, my husband-in-law, David Patterson, who is now the stepfather to my son, my oldest son, Anthony. But anyway, here's Jim Cramer. Now, this is five days after the collapse of FDX, right? FDX has collapsed, $32 billion in assets. Sam Blankman Freed has disappeared with $18 billion. One million investors have been ripped off, and listen to what he's advocating. It may be low from 68,000, but David, Bitcoin is up gigantic from where it was. Bitcoin is up gigantic from where it was. He's still doing a pump and dump. 
I mean, the guy has no morals whatsoever. But then again, you already knew that. Put some Simon eyes on you. Put a nice Simon eyes shine on that baldy head of his. And then our own Steve Moore. As you know, Steve Moore does the money show with his partner. He confessed to our own John Katsimatidis on the 5 o'clock uh, roundtable discussion that you can hear Monday through Fridays. He was uh, talking about other issues with his partner, Payne. But then he had a confession to make. Well, okay. I, well, first of all, John, I'm going to need a little loan if I could get one because I invested all my money with FTX. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> so, uh, you can stand like that. How did they say it in the movies? Tell me it isn't true. Tell me it isn't true. <laughs> so I don't think you want to take my investment advice. You want to take Ryan's investment advice. Ryan Payne is part of They have a show here. But anyway, the point is he was being honest. There are a lot of people out there who got swindled. And they're sucking it up. To his credit, our owner-operator, John Katsimatidis, years ago said, no, don't go with that Bitcoin. You gotta, It's got to be paper. you got to feel it, smell it, touch it. The sage of Omaha, Warren Buffett, said exactly the same thing. And to his credit, and as you know, I'm a never-Trumper. People accuse me of being a rhino. I think I was the first person to be uh, uh, tattooed with the word rhino. Um, Donald Trump. Donald Trump said he didn't trust Bitcoin at all. He prefers the paper. All three of those men were right. And speaking of Donald Trump, right, it was Elon Musk. Well, he's richest man of the world maybe today and not tomorrow because, let's face it, Twitter is going to implode. So he has this fake poll on Twitter, and it appears that Donald Trump got 51% of the tweets of Twitter, all the tweets out there, Versus 48% who said, no, don't put him back on Twitter. Elon Musk said, hey, welcome back to the family. And then uh, Donald Trump thought about it and said, psych, I'll stay on my own social networking platform. And then earlier today, rise and shine, Kanye West said, holy moly, I'm back on Twitter. W-A-B-C. Check this out. No one knows New York better. The founder of the Guardian Angels, Curtis Lewa. And you can't compete against that. On 77 W-A-B-C. No sleep till. You know, I was very disappointed with my colleague, Sid Rosenberg. Proud Sue, Jew, proud Zionist, right? Did not stand for the Beastie Boys, who were left out of the tribute to the hip-hoppers at the 50th anniversary of hip-hop at City Hall the other day. The hip-hop mayor presiding, Eric Adams, I saw there was Grandmaster Flash in the Furious Five, got it. That was my favorite, the message, best rap song of all time, 1982, The Bronx. But he also had surviving members of Run DMC, just had a lot. He, <laughs> he had thugs, thugheads, I mean, they were AARP, they're all like over 50 now, you know, some of them in wheelchairs, some of them have blown their uh, nostrils out from doing lines of cocaine over the years, but they were all there. But there was nobody from the Beastie Boys. Now, one of their members has passed on. But I think the other two are still alive. Nope, they're persona non grata. 
It took seven years for the city council to recognize them. They graduated from NYU like our own Frank Morano. They became violets. It was Russell Simmons, right, with Def Jam. And then they had their first album, the first rap album ever to be number one in the nation. And the brothers were upset, man. They were not happy that a bunch of white boy Jews from NYU had the top rap album of all time up to that point. They've never forgiven them. And just uh, to spend a moment on this, since uh, our mayor, Eric Adams, is having a midlife crisis, talking about all the times that he was listening to hip-hop while studying to become a police officer. And I'm saying to myself, okay, Biggie Smalls, right, it took him six days to get a mural in his honor in Bed-Stuy, do or die. This was a guy who was selling crack to pregnant black women who was raised good by his mom. She sent him to Lachlan High School. Lachlan, the same high school that graduated our own Rudy Giuliani, downtown Brooklyn. And you know what he did? He said, Mom, I want to transfer and go to Westinghouse. Why? I won't be with Jay-Z and my other homies. And he started slinging crack to pregnant black women. Actually did rap songs about that. He was so proud of that. That's one. Number two was Wu-Tang. Wu-Tang out in Staten Island running guns between Steubenville, Ohio, and Park Hill and Stapleton. Yep, 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 yep. You know, 36 Chambers, Shaolin, all that nonsense. All of a sudden on Target Street, they got a... A commemoration, a commendation, whatever you want to call it, right? Big plaque, Staten Island, all for toots. So the criminals of Wu-Tang Clan, yeah, 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 let's celebrate them. But the three Jewish guys of uh, Beastie Boys had to wait seven years for the city council to okay a little plaque on Rivington Street in the Lower East. They really hate Jews. I mean, come on, let's be honest. You know, on a night where Kyrie comes back on the hardwood, or supposedly he's, he's given up his anti-Semitic ways, and all the black Hebrew Israelites were outside of Barclays setting, Kyrie, Kyrie, we're the real Jews. They're crackers. Yeah, I mean, you can't write a script like this. I'm telling you, ladies and gentlemen. And by the way... Uh, it is uh, Code Blue. The Department of Health of the City of New York has declared that the hawk is talking. It's Code Blue so that any men or women, even animals, have to be taken off the streets for their own care because they could perish. And this is serious. It's the one time where the city actually can get people in need off the streets, and they should keep them off the streets after this. But who protested that it was declared Code Blue? Hawk Newsom. Leader of Black Lives Matter, which has become big, large mansions, right? In his Cadillac Escalade that he, he pimps around in, a $100,000 car. He called up and he immediately said to the Department of Health, does this mean you support Blue Lives Matter? Because that's a racist organization. Could you believe it? Code Blue, you can't even mention Blue. Unless they're the Crips. Then, you know, they're homies of Hawk, Hawk Newsom. So let's get down to the nitty-gritty. I have to do an intervention with the most listened-to morning show host in the tri-state area. That's our own Sid Rosenberg. His ratings are through the roof. He has lapped the competition. He has lapped everybody here at WABC. He's so far ahead. And he and Bernie worked hard, and Sid continues to work hard to maintain it. You know, it's 
It's a lot easier becoming number one. I know I've been through this uh, for 35 years in different capacities in talk radio, but it's harder to stay number one. You have to work that much harder, and Sid works very hard at this. But Sid is a victim of technology. He has no idea. In the hood, and I'm a hood rat, even though I'm white, I'm not stupid. Uh, I'm a hood rat. In the hood, the brothers will tell you, Man, this guy just got victim because of technology. Sid doesn't realize this. So let me take you down the path because yesterday was evidence of that in the worst way. When Al Slim Shady Sharpton invited at the National Action Network of Hate, Eric Adams, his lifelong friend and signer of their uh, paperwork that incorporated them as a 501c3 many, many years ago. Along, by the way, with Alvin Bragg, the uh, Manhattan DA, who never wants to lock up any criminals. No, not Alvin Bragg. Uh, He was sanctified at the National Action Network, and so was Eric Adams. But misguided as Sid is, he truly wants to help this city. There's no doubt about it. He loves this city. And he hasn't left the city. He could have left the city many times. Look, he moved to New Jersey at one point when he was at WFAN. Uh, He was down in Florida for many years making his bones, trying to claw his way back because, as you know, he had many setbacks, personal setbacks. And eventually he returned to WABC and worked real hard with Bernard and then number one in the tri-state area. But he's fixated on having Rudy Giuliani, our colleague, Michael Baricic, have a sit-down with Eric Adams, swagger man with no plan. I want you to listen to Sid. I want you to listen to him. Uh, see no reason why we shouldn't do it. I think it's a, a great idea uh, that you had, Sid. Well, I think it's That's a great idea, right. too. People I mean, should always, yeah? people should always talk. What, what, what can you lose by talking? Nothing. Maybe, it, maybe, uh, maybe there's a, a breakthrough or a change or we can help the city. All right. Sounds reasonable, right? And Rudy uh, is willing to give that a try. Sid Rosenberg truly believes what Eric Adams told him at that sit-down dinner in Brooklyn. They wouldn't tell me where it was because, you know, Matt Blaze, I would have showed up. And then they would have said, what are you doing here? And I would have said, Sid invited me. And then Sid said, not me. I would have said, your wife Danielle invited me. I would have I blamed somebody. So they wouldn't tell me where the dinner was. And there are a lot of great restaurants in Brooklyn. So now the next day, Sid is crowing. You know, he's uh, cavelling. Because Sid has a habit of kvetching sometimes and kvelling. Kvetch, kvel, kvetch, kvel. Oh, he was kvelling. He was crowing. Because he was taking credit, at least he and Danielle, he said, had offered suggestions to Mayor Eric Adams that appeared in his national op-ed piece, which was in USA Today, that talked about how Democrats had to find the middle ground, had to appeal to the blue-collar working class, and had to establish themselves also as having bona fide law and order credentials. He mentioned a bunch of things in that op-ed that me and Danielle brought to his attention on Thursday night, 1,000%. That may well have been true. But I think what Sid has not fathomed He's a victim of technology. Is he's not Eric Adams' favorite morning show host, not by a mile. Man, he ain't black. He may be a Jew who wanted always to be an Italian first and foremost, but he ain't black. Nope. 
He's not um, an Egyptian Jew. He's not a Ethiopian Jew. He is an Ashkenazi. So his complexion is not his protection. Eric Adams' favorite morning show host, bar none, is Charlemagne the God in The Breakfast Club. He likes it, that's obvious, but if given a choice, you have one choice, one choice only, Eric, what are you going to listen to? You know it's Charlemagne the God in The Breakfast Club. But Sid really wants to believe that he's the man. He's the man. And then he got upset because I was lobbying Rudy Giuliani to say, hey, you know, this is the same guy who called you a racist. This is the same guy who said that David Dinkins was a better mayor than you. Better mayor than you! And then Sid exploded and he said, Rudy was excited. But um, we want the city to be healthy. We have family, we've got children. We want the city to be healthy. And if it means me sitting down with Eric, which is, I get, I guess that's bloated um, uh, in terms of my uh, ego, but Rudy Giuliani certainly can help, and he's all too excited to do it. I mean excited to do it. Okay. Uh, that, that's progress um, in which Sid Rosenberg admitted his ego got the best of him. But at that point, Rudy was excited. In fact, he even said, Curtis, and to his audience, Andrew, his son is excited too. Then I spoke to his son, Andrew, who's actually vacationing down in Florida right now, and Andrew's like, oh, my God, this is the greatest thing. So why don't you send Rudy and Andrew nasty messages this morning about sitting down with the mayor? Why don't you do that? That's not a good direction to go to. You don't have to send dirty messages to anyone. (laughs) (laughs) Don't get them involved. Rudy and Andrew don't deserve that. Well, well, dirty messages maybe are okay. So it doesn't matter about those. (laughs) Isn't the purpose to make the city better? Of course. Of course. (laughs) And he was willing to listen to me and my wife. That's good. Right? We have a better city. That's good. No matter who the mayor is. Right? We all agree. So Sid is trying to do the shidduch, and he's trying to be the kingmaker, too. And then he'll have a right to be able to strut around and flex like a peacock, like he is. Except he didn't factor in Curtis Lee with how I operate. And immediately, Rudy, it was some kind of demonstration outside of WABC. I saw my opportunity. So I volunteer to go downstairs and escort Rudy in for his show that you can listen to Monday through Fridays from 3 to 4. And then naturally Sunday mornings with Dr. Maria from 10 to 11 before Judge Janine Pirro. And I was talking to him outside as I escorted him in, and I was laying it out to him, Rudy. Eric Adams called you a racist. Come on. Where's your pride? Where's your chutzpah? Where's your culions? And Rudy was like, yeah, yeah, you're right, Chris. And then immediately came on the air at 3 o'clock to say this. And yesterday, oh, yeah. Lou, did you see the picture that was posted when I was escorting in my Kumbaricic, Rudy Giuliani, into uh, the studios here at WABC? I grabbed him before he came in, and I lobbied him against this uh, sit-down meeting that uh, Sid is arranging with Eric Adams, a swagger man with no plan. And I had an impact. Because yesterday on Rudy's show, this is what he said about Eric Adams, and this is what he said about me that may well deep-six any chance of a sit-down that Sid is arranging as the kingmaker here at WABC. Now, Kathy Hochul, and I'm supposed to have dinner with Adams, but that's not going to stop me. And Adams, who was going to solve crime in New York, oh, wow. Monday is the day to always check on these 
people who seem to like criminals, including Adams, more than they like, and, and gets a free pass from the, uh, even from the New York Post, who helped elect Adams over Curtis Sliwa. Thank you, New York Post, for crime being up 30% and the subways being a frickin' disaster. Absolutely. Perfectly said. Now, Lou, do you think that Eric Adams, swagger man with no plan, is going to meet with Rudy after that statement? <laughs> I did my job, Sid. I lobbied him well because remember... If you go back to the Godfather, what the Godfather said about whoever arranged a meeting with Barzini is. Now listen, whoever comes to you with this Barzini meeting, he's a traitor. Don't forget that. Who could that be, Sid Rosenberg? Well, if the shoe fits where it's Sid, especially if it's a Ferragamo shoe that Eric Adams loves. Oh, Sid got very upset. Sid went ballistic. He, he, like, he just couldn't understand, like, how all of a sudden I was leveling the playing field. He wants to be the kingmaker and get Eric Adams together with our former mayor, Rudy Giuliani. And I'm saying, hell no, you don't do it until he apologizes for calling you a racist. So the other day, quelling, quetching, quelling, quetching, Sid. He was purging himself of all of his anger on me. Here we go again. You guys make me do this all the time. Then you complain because you don't listen, so I'm going to do it again. You morons out there, you let Curtis Sliwa get you so frenzied because you don't know the difference between shtick and real. And a lot of you believe that when Curtis Sliwa comes on the radio, for example, and vilifies me for having dinner with Eric Adams, you actually believe he's mad. He couldn't care less. But you people out there are too stupid to differentiate reality from radio shtick. So he does not one, not two, not three, 37 hours on me this weekend. Like every show, every midday show now is about me. The whole weekend is about me. I got in the car three or four times with Danielle to go shopping or go to dinner. Courtesy was talking about me. You see that? I'm under his skin. I'm under his skin. That means as soon as he gets in the car, right, he's got to turn on WABC. Curtis is on. I got to see if he's talking about me. You're damn right I'm talking about you because I'm trying to avoid, Sid, you becoming a victim of trichnology. And yesterday it came to pass. Eric Adams, who was stringing him along that he would meet with Eric, would meet with Rudy Giuliani, Went to the House of Hate, the National Action Network of Al Sam Shady Sharpton. He was sitting right up there on the podium, smiling like the cat that swallowed Tweety Bird. When Al Slim Shady Sharpton said the following. I saw the same distortions made on David Dinkins when he was the mayor of New York the first black mayor, and I'm seeing the same trend in the media and among some who call themselves progressives that attack Dinkins with misinformation that are attacking this mayor. And we went for it, some of us in the black community. We went for it, saying Dave Dinkins played tennis too much, like there's something wrong with staying in shape. 
or that he shouldn't have had on tuxedos like he's supposed to go to a formal affair in blue jeans. And we inadvertently in our passion beat him down to where the results was we got Rudy Giuliani. And there was Eric Adams nodding his head up and down, not defending Rudy Giuliani, not telling the House of Hate, the National Action Network, that back then when Rudy got elected mayor, yes, Eric Adams said that Rudy was a better mayor than Dinkins when it came to law and order and that David Dinkins, his mentor, his friend, was soft, soft. Did Al Slim Shady Sharpton remind the audience there that this was the same chameleon Eric Adams? Of course not. Now, you think after that statement by Al Slim Shady Sharpton that Rudy Giuliani's going to have a sit-down with Eric Adams after that? And who do you think is closer to Eric Adams, the brother Al Sharpton or his newfound friend, convenient friend, Sid Rosenberg. Come on. Brothers to brothers. I want to hear that one more time because I hate to bust Sid Rosenberg's bubble. He worked so hard on this. But you know who was listening also because everybody listens to the morning show at WABC. Al Slim Shady Sharpton who probably said, no, no, I got the brother Eric Adams. Not you, cracker. I saw the same distortions made on David Dinkins when he was the mayor of New York, the first black mayor. And I'm seeing the same trend in the media and among some who called themselves progressives that attack Dinkins with misinformation that are attacking this mayor, and we went for it, some of us in the black community. We went for it, saying Dave Dinkins played tennis too much, like there's something wrong with staying in shape, or that he shouldn't have had on tuxedos, like he's supposed to go to a formal affair in blue jeans. And we inadvertently, in our passion, beat him down to where the results was we got Rudy Giuliani. You think Rudy's going to have a sit-down after that? When Eric Adams was there nodding his head up and down, yep, yep. Amen! Speak it, Rev! Sid Rosenberg is a victim of trichnology. He's a street guy, Sid, but he's not street like me, man. He ain't street like me. I've been tussling with the brothers for years. And they've been tussling with me in all different ways. You got to know what technology is. And when we come back, our number is 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. All of a sudden, in the midterm elections, Eric Adams, swagger man with no plan, and Kathy Crime Wave Holcomb was saying it's all perception. It's a conspiracy. Remember that? Said that about crime? We'll get to that. We'll get to that, man. Not not now. Now, all of a sudden, yesterday, Eric Adams was saying, we got to appeal to blue-collar working-class folks because it's all about crime. It's not a perception. It's real. Whoa. I guess he had the great awakening. 
Great Awakening. Oh, Sid, I, I try to help you, Sid. And I'm going to continue to help you because, hey, he's the straw that stirs the drink here at WABC. He's the guy who sets the pace in the morning. Nobody touches. Sid Rosenberg gives us all the benefit of a tremendous lead-in. And that's why we're the number one news talk station in the nation. But as I told Sid uh, on Thursday, it'll take me two years, but I'm going to pass you, Sid. It's the last thing I do. I know. I know this business of talk radio. I've been doing it for 35 years. He's a veteran, too. But I, I he's lapped all of us. No, I got to take him. He's the morning guy. He's the best in the business. But I got to beat him in the ratings. And I got to straighten him out because he's the victim of trichnology. WABC. New York's talk station with the king of New York. Curtis Lewa, 77 WABC. For the same thing, it's a new thing. Check out this, I bring all the rope below the level because I'm living low next to the base. Come on, turn up the radio. They're claiming I'm a criminal, but now I wonder how. Some people never know. The enemy could be the friend guardian. I'm not a hooligan, I rock the party and clear all the madness. I'm not a racist, preach the teacher. Oh, because they never had this. Number one, never want to run about the gun. I wasn't licensed to have one. The minute they see me. I'm the epitome of public enemy. Use the fuse without clues. I refuse to blow a fuse. They even had it on the news. Don't believe the hype. Don't, don't, don't believe the hype. Don't, don't, don't. That's Flavor Flav with the clock around his neck, the public enemy. I remember he was all cracked up, and he used to smoke those uh, rocks and beam himself up to Scotty on uh, Grand Concourse right near Yankee Stadium. And it drives you crazy, smoking crack. He imagined that people were coming for him to steal his money. And he ran down into the street and he started firing his gun at phantom images. And he ended up on Rikers Island. So he believed in radio because every Sunday night at Hot 97, more drugs, more guns, more drive-bys, more gangs, they give him a shout-out that say, yo, yo. Flavor Flay, C-74, shout out. And who would they let call up? Flavor Flay. Yeah, yeah, I got it like that. Ain't nobody's Maytag, man. Nobody touching my clock. By the way, uh, got to ask this question. When the young uh, Al Slim Shady Sharpton was uh, developed by James Brown, Godfather of Soul, Soul Brother Number One. That's right, he was the opening act for James Brown. Boy Preacher, he was called, from Stone Avenue in Brooklyn, Brownsville. Never ran, never will. He had the Pomodoro also, just like James Brown. Notice his hair, dude, just like James Brown. And he'd get out there, and he'd be, like, yelling and hollering like any dollar, a dollar a holler. You know, like a black reverend up the dial, a white reverend down the dial, a dollar a holler. You get him on WMCA, right, where those reverends come, a dollar a holler. And he would warm up the group for James Brown, Godfather of Soul, Soul Brother Number One. By the way, who was a Republican and still was until his death. Although they buried him in the front yard of his daughter in South Carolina, and they went to exhume the body, and it's gone. 
It's gone. What the hell are they burying him in the front yard of his daughter in South Carolina? But anyway, I digress. So James Brown, in the 50s, was a regular guest at the White House of Dwight Eisenhower, the president, and Richard Nixon. He was really, really clicking. Imagine with Richard Nixon. I mean, oh, my God. You saw him in Jet Magazine. You saw him in Ebony Magazine. He voted for Richard Nixon over JFK. That's right. In fact, at that time, Jackie Robinson, who broke the color barrier in baseball, was a Rockefeller Republican. Many blacks believed that the Republican Party was more favorable to them than the Democrats, the Dixiecrats, who uh, <laughs> wanted to uh, lynch them if given the opportunity. Yep, 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 yep. And he never changed his ways. He always supported Republicans. How come that didn't rub off on his protege, Al Slim Shady Sharpton? <laughs> Al Slim Shady Sharpton ran for president of the United States in a Democratic primary. His purpose in being in the primary was to sabotage the Democrats. And who was his campaign manager? Roger Stone. Ha! Although he always denied that. It was Roger Stone. So you understand, he took the money and ran to sabotage the Democratic Party. In fact, he supported Alphonse Alleyboy D'Amato for senator. Republican. Because Al Slim Shady Sharpton goes wherever the scattle takes him. Follow the money. Big story about Al Slim Shady Sharpton uh, in the New York Post. They did an analogy, an analysis of his 501c3, nonprofit papers for the National Action Network. And they see that they've spent a million dollars last year to fly him around on private jets. Not too bad, right? They pay him 350000 as a salary. He serves both as the CEO and the president. And they gave him a $250,000 bonus with ancillary money for all of his expenses that he has each and every day. Obviously, he doesn't eat anything anymore. Look at him. Looks like a bubblehead dog. Where's my, hey, where's my, my music here? Come on, Matt Blaze. You truncated my cuts. You gave a brisk to the music. I need my Chuck D. Public Enemy in the background because this is the song that Eric Adams said that he listened to when he was studying for his police exam, which is like dissing and dismissing the police. Yeah, turn up the radio. That's right. But anyway, I agree with you on that, Chuck D. But anyway, let's get back on track without some shady shop. And so they analyzed his 501c3 filings. And remember in the past, Whenever all of a sudden he couldn't cook the books, he would have lightning, electricity strike. Naturally, it's called Jewish lightning, Jewish electricity. And there was Bobby Abrams, the feckless and weak attorney general of the state of New York, when Mario Facha Bruta Como, King Como I, was the governor. And he said, Al, you're a nonprofit. you got to answer. We need to see your books, your paperwork. And how convenient that every time that would happen, boom, Jewish electricity, Jewish lightning would strike. At least that's what Al Slim Shady Sharpton called it. And I remember seeing him outside of his headquarters in Harlem, and he had a picture of Adam Clayton Powell in his hand, a huge portrait as he was crying, and he had the 
the galoshes on because, you know, there was water. <laughs> the fire department had a water down the headquarters. They couldn't save anything except the portrait of Adam Clayton Powell, who had to go to Bimini. Where? In the Bahamas? Because he was being sued by a woman that he claimed was a bag woman. Remember? Oh, yeah. And then he'd go out there. He'd have, like, six martinis uh, before 10 o'clock in the morning. He'd have a press conference. He was still in Congress serving Harlem. And he would start out, you know, that Martin Luther Kuhn. Like, what? Oh, well, he's drinking. He's half in the bag. No, 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 no. If I had said that or any other white politician had said that, you're a racist. My God! But his complexion was his protection. And at the time, Al Slim Shady Sharpton making his bones um, was a uh, protege, so to speak. So anyway, you're looking at his 501c3, and I'm comparing it to me because we just about began to climb up the ladder at the same time. Let's see, there was Schumer, Trump, Sharpton, Sleewood. We were all for lens lights. We didn't know a camera that we didn't want to make love to. Live at 5, live at uh, 6, live at 10, live at 11. We were lens lights. In fact, if it was a crime to be on TV or in the news, all four of us would have had to share the same cell back in the 70s and 80s. No doubt about it. But look at where he's gone. It's all about the money. Show me the money. When, when Bloomberg became mayor... Eight years as mayor elected, and then he stole four years. Mr. I, I believe in term limits, but now I'm going to bribe my way into another four years. You didn't really have insurrection in the streets, no justice, no peace, like we had with Rudy. So Bloomberg would give an envelope to Sharpton's uh, aide-de-camps, $10,000 in cash once a month, so that Sharpton could stay at the Carlisle Hotel. And I remember interviewing John Katsimatidis, our owner-operator, And a great talk show host in his own right. He was running for mayor at that time in 2013 in the Republican primary against Joe Loda. Oh, and a miserable excuse of a guy. The the worst, the worst candidate ever. But anyway, I said to John on the radio, you know what the the rule of thumb is to deal with uh, Al Slim Shady Sharpton. You could do it the Rudy way. Rudy said, nobody meets with Al Slim Shady Sharpton. You got that, Bratton? You meet with Sharpton, you put your badge and your gun on the desk. Now, I'll get a new police commissioner in 24 hours. Bratton told me that story first, not Rudy. Rudy seconded. So he says, what does Bloomberg do? 10000 a month, no justice, no peace. It buys you peace. He goes, I think I'll go the $10,000 route if I get elected mayor. That's the way this guy operates. It's all about Al Slim Shady Sharpton. Look at the article. It gives you the breakdown. Remember at one point he owed $4 million. Payroll taxes. Personal taxes he owed. Englewood Cliffs. New Jersey forgot it. They forgave him. Just leave New Jersey. Go back to New York and we will forgive the property taxes that you owe. He owed millions here in New York. Lord only knows where that went. But he owed he owed payroll taxes. That means he was stealing from his employees. And then all of a sudden, Barack Obama, through his Justice Department, came to the rescue. And a man who used to be out in the outhouse, uh, in the back of the White House, now had an easy pass into the White House. This is the way it goes. So 
Sid, if you happen to be listening in the car again with your wife, your lovely wife, Danielle, I know you're going ballistic. Who do you think Eric Adams is going to side with? His homeboy for life, Al Slim Shady Sharpton, or you, his newfound friend? You're a cracker and you're a Jew. Figure that out, right? That doesn't work in your favor. Oh, my God, am I. Anyway, uh, let's go back to uh, the uh, new reformed, reviewed pension of the Democrats to say, you know, we care about law and order, too. But we got to take you back to uh, two weeks before the election against Congressman Zeldin, who was all about crime, all about that was the one issue, crime, crime, crime. Kathy Crime Wave Hochul appeared on MSNBC with Al Slim Shady Sharpton. Remember what she had to say? These are master manipulators. They have this conspiracy going all across America to try and convince people that in democratic states they're not as safe. Well, guess what? They're also not only election deniers, they're data deniers. The data shows that shootings and murders are down in our state by 15%, even in New York City, down 20% on Long Island, where Lee Zeldin comes from. And it's the, it's the, it's the Republican states where they have almost no restrictions on guns. Because of the abundance of guns, people are killing each other with more frequency. The safer places are the Democratic states. Sure it is, Kathy. Sure it is. By the way, that was Al Slim Shady Sharpton's program on MSNBC. He never conflicted with her on that. He actually agreed with her. Then from his bully pulpit of the National Action 8 Network on Saturday, with Eric Adams sitting there nodding his head in approval, he was saying, oh, no, we got to get serious about crime. Got to get serious about crime. And Eric Adams, and it was his turn to speak, and he lip-synced exactly what Al Slim Shady Sharpton said. Except I was saying, wait a second. During the midterm uh, campaign in the elections before November 8th, Eric, you were saying this each and every day. We have a safe subway system. Transit police officers, they have done their job. What we must do is remove the perception of fear. Cases like this aggravates the perception of fear. Uh, when you see homeless individuals with mental health issues not being attended to and given the proper services, that add to the perception of fear. And so what our battle is in the subway system is fighting the perception of fear. Madonna, my, how many times can you say perception, right? And all during the campaign, Eric Adams, side by side with Kathy Crimewave Holcomb, was denying the crime. Then all of a sudden, Kathy Crimewave Holcomb wins, and now it's on to the newest mantra, which is pivot and shift, better known as flip-flop, flip-flop. And unfortunately, some folks are getting caught up in this. Up next, though, it's an issue that nobody wants to touch here in the city. And it has to be dealt with because you have uh, Chuck Schumer. He is the majority leader in the Senate, and he will continue to be the majority leader no matter what happens with Herschel Walker and uh, Reverend Warlock. I call him Warlock. I know it's Warnock, but to me, he's Warlock. We're going to hear from Herschel up next. Wait till you hear this piece of work. And uh, also... You have Hakeem Jeffries. 
who has bided his time, has waited in the wings for the queen of mean Nancy Pelosi to step aside, and she did the other day. And then he cast his his uh, sword in, and he said, I will be your next majority leader, and nobody is beefing amongst the Democrats. Nobody is beefing against him as Republicans are against McCarthy. Remember, the reason you listen to Curtis Lee is I know where all the bones are buried and who buried them. Keep it right here at WABC. In the 11 o'clock hour, it's the Animal Welfare Program. Most listened to, most requested of the many hours that I do on the weekends here at WABC when the acronym WABC stands for Always Broadcasting Curtis. And, wow, we have a whole panoply of different animal-related subjects. Remember, look outside. The hawk is talking. I mean, it is cold out there. You got pets, and they're outdoors. You better take them inside because it's cold blue, according to the Department of Health of the city of New York. And it just doesn't apply to human beings who are homeless. It applies to cats and dogs, if at all possible, and other animals. Get them inside. W-A-B-C. He knows New York. He is New York. Cred that the others don't have. Curtis Lewa. Talk Radio 77 W-A-B-C. You know, if Godfather of Soul, James Brown, had been alive. And by the way, I still ask the question, what happened to his body? He was interned in the front yard of his daughter's home in South Carolina, exhumed by somebody else, and nobody has found the body since. Where did he go? You think it's out with Ted Williams there in Arizona? What is that, the cryonics place, you know, where they chop off your head and they freeze you? Hoping that maybe one day you'll be revived and resurrected? I have no idea. But it's a lingering mystery that nobody seems to want to answer. And I'm telling you, if James Brown, godfather of soul, soul brother number one, who was originally from Georgia, did you know that? Did you know he was from Georgia? You know he did some prison time in Georgia? Did you know that? Of course you didn't. You didn't follow his life in times like I did. He was a Republican through and through till the day he died. He backed Eisenhower for president. He backed Nixon against JFK. He was always there for the Republicans. Just check your Jet magazines and Ebony magazine. Yeah, I used to get those. Although, I had to hide them in Canarsie, man. Like, why are you reading Jet and Ebony, man? There's something. What's wrong with you? Are you a race trader? No, no, don't worry about it, Lenny Beans, Bianchino. Mind your own business. But if, in fact, he were alive, I'm telling you, James Brown, godfather of soul, would be the opening act for Herschel Walker. Bulldog, Georgia Bulldog, let's face it. The reason he is so famous, 
It's because when you go into northern Florida and throughout Georgia, they remember Herschel Walker, Bulldog number one. I mean, look at them now. They're 8-0 in their conference. They're 11-0 overall. Their home record is 5-0. Away, they're 4-0. They're going to go on to the NCAA, NCAA championship because Alabama has faulted. And can you imagine that at the time of the election, you know, because neither Warlock or Herschel Walker was able to go over 50%. That Georgia at that point may be the titular number one team in the nation as they are now. And maybe just for old time's sake, they'll have Herschel come into the huddle there, you know, with his his jersey on. They'll give him a handoff and he'll go right up the middle. Touchdown, Herschel! And think James Brown will be his opening act and he'd be endorsing Herschel. And that'd be enough to get him over the top. He doesn't really have... Somebody of that character, other than Donald Trump, he doesn't have anyone at the level of a James Brown in the entertainment world endorsing him. But the other day, I mean, he was wigging out. He was at a campaign stop. I'm still trying to figure out what the hell he was talking about. Oh, you ever watch a stupid movie late at night hoping it's going to get better, don't get better, but you keep watching it anyway? Because the other night, the other night I was watching this movie, I was watching this movie called Fright Night, Freak Night, or some type of night, but it was about vampires. I don't know if you know vampires are some cool people, are they not? But I'm going to tell you something that I found out. A werewolf can kill a vampire. Did you know that? I never knew that, so I didn't want to be a vampire anymore. I wanted to be a werewolf. But then, anyway, as I'm watching this movie, and then you can tell how stupid it is because it's 1 in the morning. So I'm watching my TV. Are these kids watching their TV or a vampire kill on their TV? So you know it's kind of stupid, but I'm still watching, though. As I'm watching this show, what was funny, these kids had a vampire in their attic at their house. So they were watching their TV. Now, I'm watching my TV. Are they watching their TV? Or they see the vampire killer on their TV? So they win this contest to bring this actor. Now, y'all got to stay with me. Bring this actor who's a vampire killer from that TV to get rid of this real-life vampire in that attic. So as this actor comes to their home, he got all the right stuff. He got all the right stuff because, you know, I got to have a steak and got to have a thing to kill him in the heart. And he got a necklace of garlic because that worked. I don't know what it does, but it worked. You got to have a cross because it burns. I know that worked. And then all of a sudden, this is what was so funny about it. As they're walking through the house... This, this, this guy's got the holy water. He's blessing the house, this actor. Now, he's all fake. He's blessing the house with his holy water. They walked upstairs, and this vampire looking real good in this black suit. Whoa, that sounds like Senator Warnock, doesn't it? Looking all good in this black suit. Floated from the ceiling. He floated from the ceiling looking good and cool. And I'm thinking, whoa, they better get out of that house. If somebody float from your ceiling, get out of that house. That's, that's not your house. But as he floated from the ceiling, the kid jumped behind that hero. As they jumped behind that hero, the guy jumped in front of him with this holy water, threw it on the vampire's forehead. He covered his eyes. And he took his hand away. He started laughing. And he said, that don't work. He took the cross and put it on the vampire's forehead. And the vampire didn't even do anything. He said, that don't work. And that's the way it is in our life. It doesn't even work unless you got faith. It is time for us to have faith. We got to have faith in our fellow brother. We got to have faith in this country. We got to have faith in, this, in the elected officials. And right now, that's the reason I'm here. Because God... That's when you need somebody like James Brown to come out. And just uh, get the audience back. What the hell was he talking about? Vampires and werewolves. Oh, my God. Now, you know if he wins, 
It ain't going to be because his complexion is his protection. Nope, nope, nope. Reverend Warnock, he's black. He's in the bully pulpit. He speaks better than Herschel does, but Herschel, man, he's a Georgia bulldog. I'm telling you, I spent a lot of time in Atlanta. Guy was a god. I mean, there was Jesus Christ, uh, and there was Herschel Walker. And you go into northern Florida, which might as well be Georgia. I'm telling you, right on down through Gainesville, Tallahassee. They still, you say Herschel Walker. Oh, he's ours. No, no, Georgia. No, no, Herschel Walker. New Jersey general for Donald Trump. Remember, he played over in the Meadowlands and played for Dallas. Oh, Big D. And then I think the Giants, too. And then uh, he retired. But, oh, my God. Can anybody out there translate what the hell he was talking about? Ugh. Maybe I'll ask Dominic Carter, black speak. Although, when you listen to radio, if you didn't know who Dominic Carter was, and you didn't know who Curtis Lee was, right, you just heard our voices, you would think I'm the black guy. Because my name, Curtis, is generally the name of a black guy. Look at Curtis Jackson, a.k.a. 50 Cent. Predominantly black. Some whites. But I think I sound more street, more hood than Dominic Carter. He went to Syracuse University School of Journalism. That's a very elite school. And he busted his shoes the hard way. Now, you know what I'm going to be asking him about when he comes in here right before a show at 12. Okay, Dominic. You're going to have to be the one reporter who brings this to the surface because they have already begun the coronation of Hakeem Jeffries. It's the Democratic leader in the House of Representatives. There's no opposition. Yet you know, Dominic, like I know, that that acorn fell from the tree of his uncle, Dr. Leonard Jeffries, the most virulent anti-Semite in the history of New York City, Tenured City University Chairman of Black Studies. Vile, despicable. In fact, let's go back in the time machine in 1991. We're not talking the 1930s. We're talking 1991 and where he was claiming that the Jews were responsible for the slave trade in their synagogue in Amsterdam. Where do you want to start? Do you want to go to Amsterdam and get a book by... Jonathan Israel, on European Jewry in the Age of Mercantilism, 1550 to 1750. And there's a picture of the Amsterdam Synagogue, which was the center of slave trading for the Dutch. Amsterdam became a leading port in this period of time for slavery. And it was around the synagogue Jews are responsible for slave trading. And then he was on with Charlie Rose. Charlie Rose, who didn't understand that Dr. Leonard Jeffries was not going to let him get in a word edgewise. You know, again, being the white guy, he wasn't going to step on Dr. Leonard Jeffries. I would have stepped to him and said, shut up. This is my show. But he pimp slapped Charlie Rose, by the way, who turned out to be that perv. And by the way, I really hate that guy, Charlie Rose. I know he's listening right now on our FM affiliate, WLIR, out in the East End of Long Island, where he lives. 
Because when I was on a show in 1992, after I got shot with five hollow-point bullets on the orders of Gotti Sr. to Gotti Jr. and the Gambino crime family, he said I was making it up, making it up. When it was proven to be true, did he ever call me up and say, I'm sorry, Curtis? Of course not. He went back to perving women. That's what he did. You disgraziata, you shanda. But I digress. Listen to the Dr. Leonard Jeffries, uncle of Hakeem Jeffries, on the Charlie Rose Show in 1991. Was every ethnic group involved in the making of Hollywood and the negative images of African peoples? Was every ethnic group involved in the making yes. of the Sambo image, in the making yes. of the Stephen Fletcher? Yes. Which was the ethnic group that had a particular interest in that, a particular influence in that? Why can't we get at the truth of that? That's not a defamation of all Jews. It's a defamation of European Jewry that was participating in white supremacy but in America. Say things, reflecting when a you of white say supremacy. that, Professor Jeffries, there you go. You raise the flag of a whole group of people rather than... Did you hear that? Eastern European Jewry that was participating with white supremacy in America. The Ku Klux Klan, right? Ku Klux Klan hated Jews. A lot of other racists hated Jews, including black racists. I mean, if you want one group that's been hated the most, right, the Haters Club. Oh, my God. Oh, oh that reminds me. <laughs> oh, this goes back to old Dave Chappelle. Dave Chappelle used to have a program in which he elevated a lot of comics. He, he did a lot of good. And it was called the Rappers Haters Club. Man, I wish I had that 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 cut right now. It's so good, so good. But anyway, I digress. The point is, I think it is incumbent upon our number one crack gumshoe reporter, Dominic Carter, to ask those questions of Hakeem Jeffries because he is the nephew of Dr. Leonard Jeffries, who's still alive, who's still spewing that anti-Semitism, still hates whites, still calls us crackers. A simple Q&A. Remember when uh, Barack Obama was running for the presidency and all of a sudden Reverend Wright was becoming a issue? Because remember Barack Obama and Michelle Obama sat in Reverend Wright's church in the South End south side of Chicago for 10 years and claimed that he never heard him railing against Jews and white people and talking about sun people, African-Americans, and ice people, crackers. And where did he get all that from? Matt Blaze? From Dr. Leonard Jeffries. He's the one who wrote the book. Ten books about that. Ten! I don't know if they were New York Times bestsellers. <laughs> Maybe even the New York Times couldn't stomach that. Since it's a Jewish family that owns and operates the New York Times and their base of operation was in Nashville. So maybe they gave him a break. I don't know. But I'm really going to put the screws to Dominic Carter. He knows Dr. Leonard Jeffries. He knows where to find him. And he knows where Hakeem Jeffries is. Now, maybe Hakeem Jeffries comes on with Dominic Carter and says, you know, I grew up with my uncle. I traveled to Egypt with him on his pilgrimages with other young black men, black women that were being told that the Nubian peoples, those who were from the Sudan before Christ, developed uh, air flight, not the, not the white, white brothers, and they developed martial arts and they developed other things. I renounced all of that because I, 
I realize it was all part of his anti-Semitism and his white hate. I'd like to hear that from Hakeem Jeffries. But I have a feeling that no reporters are going to ask him, why is that? Because his complexion is his protection. But who's the best reporter that has existed in New York City since Gabe Pressman? Who can interview anybody and has in his life and times? It's Dominic Carter. And boy, I'm throwing down the gauntlet and I'm saying, Dominic, it's time to step up. Over the course of human history, there's been Noah's Ark, savior of mankind. St. Francis of Assisi's, foregoing his wealth to be savior of all animals. And Curtis Sliwa, guardian angel and savior of New York City, protecting both man and beast. The Curtis Sliwa Show presents Curtis's Ark with Nancy Sliwa. From bipeds to quadrupeds and everything in between. Now, with Nancy Sliwa, here's Curtis Sliwa. Wow, this is a week in which there's a lot of animal welfare news, Nancy, but we got to start off with the issue that is so important to human beings, two-legged human beings and four-legged creatures on this earth, and that is that the hawk is talking. It's cold out there. Department of Health of the City of New York has declared a uh, emergency, a freezing emergency. They call it Code Blue. And that means that any human being that's out there in the streets and the subways or the parks can be forcibly removed and brought to a shelter to be kept nice and warm and toasty until this cold snap uh, is broken. And that would also, I think, apply to animals. Uh, Earlier today when I was doing the afternoon show from 3 to 5, some of our board operators were running in here and they saw all the pigeons on the ledge here and on the telephone pole waiting for me. And it's almost like they were bundled up the way they were just sitting there. Their heads were like being hidden as they had their head under their wings Give us an idea of what the animals are doing out there under these frigid conditions, wind chill factor below zero, and what our listeners can do, in fact, if they're aware of animals who are in distress under these circumstances. Uh, Well, uh, for starters, I would say that any animal is going to be drawn toward a heat source, so whatever that may be. So this is why, for example, um, you know, like feral cats or maybe uh, different types of, you know, wildlife, squirrels, birds, potentially, they'll go into car hoods uh, after people park their cars uh, during the evening because it retains the warmth. And, you know, they'll uh, stay there overnight. And that's why it's suggested, you know, before you start your car, you knock on the hood this way in case something's there it has a chance to uh, run out and you don't um, you know inadvertently burn it when you're starting the car so I mean the the tendency is going to be to go somewhere warm now you know if there's uh, you know garages you know a lot of these um, places in the city and then even you know obviously out um, in more rural areas you have anything that you can leave open for 
uh, you know, the outdoor animals to come in for a little bit. Uh, you know, again, depending upon what they are, I mean, uh, you know, I, I think most of them just need a little bit of warmth. And if you can do that, I know with the cats, uh, you know, the outdoor housing units we put up, I mean, those are super ideal, uh, you know, placements where they're insulated, the cats can go in, their body heat will make it warm internally. So, you know, it's really a self-contained and, um, you know, mechanism to keep them warm. So, you know, all different creatures require uh, different plans of action, but, you know, minimum things you can do just to uh, alleviate basic warmth and, um, uh, you know, like uh, wind, you know, keep the wind out, things like that can really make a difference. Well, it's very important what you said about cars. You're right. Car will park its you know, it's parked. The people who drove it will leave it. It's nice and warm, and animals will come under the undercarriage and work their way up to the motor because the engine is, is what's the warmest, and they'll burrow in there. And then in the morning, all of a sudden, the person comes out. They start up the car. The engine starts going. The fan starts moving around, and there have been endless cases of animals that were slaughtered as a result of that because – they were burrowed into the motor, so your advice about just bang on the hood of the car. If there are any animals who are underneath, they'll immediately flee. Exactly. Yeah, just a very simple solution for that one. Excellent, excellent. And where do all the pigeons go? I mean, when it's freezing like this, where do they go? Because they don't fly south for the winter like a lot of other uh, different, uh, different birds do who just stop off here on their way down. They're here twenty four seven three six five. Where do the pigeons go? Yeah, so uh, well, certainly the ones around here. I see them huddled uh, toward the sides of the different buildings. So I, you know, it, it seems like it definitely depends on uh, which direction the wind is blowing. So obviously, they're really uh, like adept at figuring that that part out. So they go to the right side of whichever you know which part of the street it makes sense to go to. But they, you know, they sort of huddle up together, and like to your point, how they look really big. So the the layers of feathers that they have, you know, at that point, you know, they just like puff them out. So it just creates like this barrier, this insulation. And then you know, by huddling together, you know, it's like they're all staying warm together. So I mean, you know, and that's why they always have to have groups. You know, you, you really can't be out there by yourself. You always need a, a crew. Well, they followed me all the way here from our apartment so that I would feed them as soon as I saw them all here. There's like a hundred of them. I had to go downstairs in between shows and feed them. And people were looking at me like, how come you're out here? Don't you? I, I had my undershirt on, I think. I forgot what it was. Or the poor birds, they were so hungry. Yeah, no, it, it was very cold today, and they seemed very hungry. Our number is 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. It was also a very busy week for our news director here at WABC, Noam Layden, who had a whole panoply of different animal-related stories. In fact, let's go to what he uh, broadcast here as part of his news uh, newscast about how the bear hunt has been approved once again in New Jersey. Animal rights activists and environmentalists across the state say the hunt is the wrong way to go. They say people 
are the problem. New Jersey still hasn't dealt with the issue of garbage. Feeding bears, which is a major problem, the more bears see people as a source of food, the more potential problems there can be. But bear encounters have spiked 237% just over last year. So after a public hearing, the New Jersey Fish and Game Council voted to approve an emergency hunt set to take place for five days beginning December 5th. Noam Layton, WABC News. What's your reaction to that, Nancy? Well, it's well. First of all, it's completely ridiculous. Um, it, you know, it doesn't, it doesn't make any sense. This now, this is being done. So this is um, now. Phil Murphy, when he was running for office, uh, one of the things that he campaigned on was uh, bringing an end to the bear hunting, and he was true to that up until just recently. And then the day after the election, he basically declared that there was this bear emergency and, uh, you know, we have no choice. We have to institute the bear hunt. Just total about face. Uh, they had like this emergency vote, uh, unanimous vote. Yeah, we're, we're going to approve it and we're going to do it like in a week. And none of it makes any sense. But in in this context, you know, with what he's doing, it, it seems like it makes more sense because He's trying to now that he, you know, that election's over, he's trying to appeal more to the national base. And the national base is filled with more hunters. So he has to sort of backtrack from uh, that that step that he took. But, again, it makes no sense, right? So they have no uh, logical reason as to why they're doing it. They're claiming that there's statistics showing, well, there's more interactions with bears. Now, they're not saying these interactions are bad or that the bears are hurting people. They're just saying we're seeing more of them. Okay, well, that's probably going to happen because you live in the same area. And they're doing this five days. This is like the start of December. Now, I mean, a lot of bears, especially this type of one, the black bear, they start going into hibernation the first week in December. So, And they're also leaving open that if they don't, um, you know, t- uh, take out 20% of the population, which is like they're saying there's roughly 3,000 bears, so, you know, you're looking at like um, 600 bears they would have to take out in five days, that they're leaving open the opportunity to do it later in December. Like this is past the point where they're going into hibernation. So it becomes really ridiculous as to why you're going to try to kill them when they're about to go into hibernation. And it just came out of nowhere now, this council unanimously approved the reverse proposition when he said, we don't want any any bear hunting in in you know throughout the state. They unanimously approved that a couple of years ago. And now when he changed his mind, they unanimously approved his change of mind. So this looks like it's just a rubber stamp for whatever he wants. You know, interesting, uh, oftentimes you'll see the mama bear with the baby bears. They'll leave their lair. It's almost like instinctually they know when the hunt is on. And because there are bear hunts in nearby Pennsylvania and bear hunts in New York State, uh, there's all, always been reported traffic near what is called the Tri-States Monument. It's under the underneath the I-84 bridge, and it's right by the Delaware River. So the bears will actually cross into the other states when they know the hunt is on one state and not the other. So, like, if there's a hunt in Pennsylvania, they'll want to go into Jersey. If the hunt is on in Jersey, they'll want to go to New York. And they go right across the bridge. They go back and forth. And people, they realize, wow, the the bears are running for their life. 
Yeah, I mean, very learned behavior, right? They they know what's going on, and they're you know they're adapting to it. So I mean, it just again, it just shows you how how intertwined they are within our community. They recognize what we're doing. I remember when I was at Port Jervis in New York, which is right there on the border between New Jersey, Pennsylvania, and New York. People would tell me, oh, yeah, a whole bunch of bears just came through. I said, why would they be coming through? They're avoiding the hunt in New Jersey, or they're avoiding the hunt in Pennsylvania. They're coming and seeking sanctuary in New York until they hear the shots fired in New York. Then they start running into Pennsylvania or New Jersey. They know that the hunters are hunting them down, and they're running for their lives. How come we don't have bear sanctuaries? We have sanctuaries for illegal aliens. Shouldn't we have bear sanctuaries? You know, and, and again, the, the, the idea of why this is, you know, it's being contemplated, oh, this is going to limit the interactions of bears with people, as though this will be some sort of learned behavior. So every other day of the year, they're fine with us. We're not going to hunt them. But for those five days, that's going to stick in their mind where they're not, they'll never come around people again. Like, that doesn't, doesn't even make any sense conceptually. So they don't have to back up this plan with any logic. They just say it, and then they just go do it. Our number is 1-800-848-9222. It's the Animal Welfare Edition here at WABC. And speaking of bears, where there are bears not far away, there are coyotes. It's not Wiley Coyote, the cartoon series we grew up with, real live coyotes. And once again, Westchester has hit the emergency button State troopers were flying over the area in helicopters trying to find coyotes. Others were searching for coyotes because they claim that there are one or two rabid coyotes of the many that are out there throughout Westchester County up near the Bedford area. Yeah, this definitely seems to be a very overblown situation where uh, supposedly one Coyote is responsible for um, biting one woman and attacking, but not physically attacking, another woman. Uh, they were walking on the same road in, um, like, you know, a very sort of rural area in uh, Westchester. And so this started this whole alert, you know, this coyote warning. And, you know, it's almost like the town went on lockdown because of this uh, perceived, this potential. This, uh, so they're presuming <laughs> that it, has, that it uh, has rabies because that's always the presumption, right? You just be on the, the safe side. But they have no way of knowing what type of coyote it is. You know, they have no pictures of it. So supposedly the cops were out looking for it. They can't find it. So now they're really trying to find this particular coyote. Now, what's interesting is this town, um, it only has 5,000 people in it, right? So the coyote population is estimated in New York State like 30,000. So there's way more coyotes than there are in this, in this whole town. But they're upset about this one coyote. And, and again, so now you have even like the Department of uh, Conservation of New York State. They're giving advice on what to do when you see coyotes, right? Um you know, be aggressive, like, you know, try to scare them away from you, uh, throw something at them, throw a stick, throw a stone. But if they seem to be bold, right, like they're holding their ground, like if they don't attack you, then what you do is you call the cops or you call the Department of Environmental Conservation. 
and they'll come and get this coyote, right? So like, look at the like opposite logic they have here. So this coyote is friendly by all accounts. It's not doing anything. So that's the problem, that it's too friendly. <laughs> so in other words, if you attack, you have a problem. If you're friendly, you have a problem. So no matter what it is, you're going to have a problem. This is incredible because you have law enforcement agencies scurrying throughout the hills of Westchester <laughs> looking for Wiley Coyote as we speak, as if it's public enemy number one. Hey, guess what? The no-cash bail thing has nothing to do with coyotes. It has to do with two-legged thugs. Wow. I only wish that law enforcement would be so mobilized when there are criminals who are committing crimes throughout Westchester County. It's uh, it's mind-boggling. It's mind-boggling. Yeah, like, I'm I'm not sure what's going on in the town that, that this became the priority, but this is pretty incredible. You would think it was a prison break from nearby Ossining Sing Sing, which is right there in Westchester County. And they have no picture of this particular coyote. So, in other words, presume that every coyote you see could be it. And now you want to be fearful of every single one you see. Years ago, I remember interviewing the mayor of Saddle River, New Jersey. This is where Richard Nixon eventually went to live before he passed away. Very affluent, very upscale community. He called an emergency because there were two coyotes seen in the area. People had to be inside of their house when the sun set, which at that time I think was about 7.30 at night. Over two coyotes. (laughs) They don't even do that when criminals are doing home invasions. There's something about the coyote. I guess the history, uh, the stereotype about the coyote is that you can't trust the coyotes. They're going to steal the cats. They're going to steal the dogs. They're going to steal the little children. You know, this goes back to fables that predate all of us centuries ago in Eastern Europe. The coyotes are going to steal little kids who are out there playing with their toys. Yeah, I mean, and when you look at the numbers in terms of actual attacks or, um, you know, even direct interactions, it's just so complete. It's like so few that it's obvious this is really blown out of proportion. And like I think to your point, it's just that element of, you know, like what's interesting is so you think about it this way. People, um, you know, presumably they move to this town because they want to be in nature, right? They don't want to be um, – you know, too urban environment. They want to be, you know, among everything that that's very peaceful. But then they go there, and then it's just too much nature for them. Most, so they want to tweak it a little bit. Most of the time, the coyote sightings turn out to be dogs, <laughs> not coyotes. People get all bent out of shape. Oh, coyotes! Oh, oh my God! Anyway, our number is one eight hundred eight four eight nine two two two. That's one eight hundred eight four eight W A B C. Next story is a sad one because you and I have been warning people forever that in this war against rats, especially in Washington Heights, when I took you up there, Nancy, and we walked the streets of Broadway, and I took, I showed you how all the vendors on the tables that they had outside of their storefronts were selling rat poison, pellets, rat poison, because of all the rats, four-legged rats up there. And now we have a story here, and I know it's been replicated. Three dogs died after ingesting rat poison up in Washington Heights. Yeah, I mean, and again, right, so uh, when you're, uh, you know, people walking their dogs in, you know, throughout the streets in New York City, 
you know, they're always nibbling on stuff on the ground. And here, uh, these dogs got into uh, rat poison that was put in front of stores on the sidewalk. And, you know, I didn't know what it was at first. And then, you know, by the time they figured it out, it was like it had hit um, several of the dogs. But, I mean, you know, unfortunately, this is just definitely a problem. And it happens where, you know, these things are thrown down really indiscriminately. And I mean, I mean, Washington Heights is is perfect example. Well, um, like you said, it, it's a horrible death because the insides of the dogs implode. They suffer from ingesting rat poison, and it's not just dogs; it's cats, it's birds, it's everyone else. We are obsessed with Eric Adams' war on rats. In fact, Noam Layden had another one of his animal welfare reports as part of his newscast here. He's our news director here at WABC about the war against four-legged rats. The city sanitation department says its new plan to get rid of rats will work, but New Yorkers, they're not too sure. Finding the rats, you're going to dig everything up and take all of them out? It's impossible to find every nest. Probably like about 100 rats for every New Yorker. Part of the plan is for sanitation workers to get to trash cans before rats do. Many New Yorkers say, well, it's a good place to start. Pretty much you got to test different things out. got to set a trap here, you got to set a trap there. we got to kill at least 500 of them in this park. Like, it's different things. Noam Layton, WABC News. Now, Nancy, I remember you and I, we were dealing with then Brooklyn Borough President Eric Adams, who was having a press conference uh, about his attempt to eliminate rats in the most populous borough of the five boroughs, which has the most rats because it's the most populated. And he held a press conference in which he had live rats. And he drowned them in a vat. Yeah. And he seemed to get a vicarious thrill out of that. And like everybody there, we weren't there, but we obviously heard about it. And he acknowledged it. They were like totally grossed out. And everybody said, you're not going to eliminate rats. First you're going to catch the rat, then you're going to drown the rat. It ain't going to work. What? Yeah, I think everyone was mortified at his plan. Yeah, but he's tried other plans. Other mayors have tried plans, and it always gets down to stronger and stronger pesticides. Dow Chemical gets contracts for millions of dollars. Rats become immune to the pesticides because generation after generation, just like humans, they develop immunities to pharmaceutical products like we do. That's why they have to strengthen uh, the pharmaceutical product. And they're strengthening these pesticides that are causing more harm to other animals in the animal kingdom than to rats themselves. They don't ever seem to learn. Yeah, I mean, and I I don't even think that they believe truly that they're going to make a difference. I think this is just it's like the equivalent of busy work where they, you know, want to give the impression that they're doing something, knowing full well it really won't have any effect. So, I mean, I, I mean the things they're doing are absurd, first of all. You know, p- putting garbage out, uh, two hours later, as though that's going to make all the difference in the world. And, you know, now they're saying, oh, when there's a big construction job done, the and exterminators are needed because they're, um, you know, like excavating uh, ground, things like that. Now they have to make sure that it's a licensed exterminator. So apparently before it didn't have to be. <laughs> so I guess that's good. Um, and then there's a lot of reports that they're going to do. They're going to create these zones. In a couple months, they'll have a zone created. And then, 
the year after that, they'll have a report done. So, you know, like a lot of things are are happening, obviously. But, I mean, when you listen to how they describe it, it's like the most monumental, you know, uh, program that could ever happen. Adams is like, oh, once in a generation chance. Like, it's just completely ridiculous. Waste of money, not going to do anything. And, you know, continuation of the same. Just a, a way to throw money at uh, you know, something that had a problem that's not going to do anything. Well, there is a solution, and no mayor will utilize it. They're utilizing it in Chicago now. It's uh, been determined to be the rat capital of America. New York City is number two, and it is the feral cats and the old-fashioned bodega cat. So I noticed that you were able to save two cats that were on death row in the shelter system of New York. One called Tiger, one called Love. They partnered up. They became pals. You got them back on their feet. You got them uh, all their medical needs. They were frisky. Uh, they were having a great time. And you gave them away to a store yeah. as a result of rat infestation. They haven't had a rat, a mouse, or a rodent since the two of our, um, our uh, rescue cats paired up and went into that facility, and they just lived there, and they have no rat problems. Yeah, I mean, and again, that's the, you know, the purpose of, of what they they really enjoy doing. I mean, it's it's every instinct that they have, and, you know, it's it's just, like I said, it's a great, it's a great life for them in New York City, really, when you think about it. I mean, they have each other, they have a job to do, they're, you know, it's, it's perfect. And... The biggest impediment to the reinstitution of the bodega cat, the store cat, is the Department of Health of the city of New York that has no remedy for the rat problem other than more pesticides. And if they do an inspection of the property and they determine that you have cats there, uh, you know, who are living there in a store facility, they'll write you up. They'll write you up. Yeah, but I mean, but obviously it works so completely well that so many stores are willing to take that chance and, you know, risk that fine because they realize how beneficial it is. So that's why you continue to see them throughout New York City. It's incredible. It's madness. Uh, We've offered our services to the Eric Adams administration. They've said, we'll get back to you. We did likewise to Bill de Blasio. They said, we get back to you. Uh, it seems every mayor has a war against rat plan, and they've all failed miserably. I don't remember any mayor, and that includes Bloomberg and Michael Botticich, Rudy Giuliani, who were ever able to deal effectively with the rats other than the old-fashioned method, which is feral cats outside or bodega cats inside, and then you won't have mice, rodents, or rats. I don't know how many times uh, we have to explain it. People know this. But then again, every mayor thinks they're pretentious, they're omnipotent, they know nothing at all about rats. The only mayor who knew anything about rats, the two-legged rats, was Rudy Giuliani when he was U.S. attorney for the Southern District. uh, And he would wire them up like Christmas trees, and they'd have to go out and bring evidence in in order to avoid 25 years to life. Ugh. Really disappointing. Really disappointing. Anyway, let's go to Michelle in New Jersey. Your turn to be heard here on the Animal Welfare Hour at WABC, Michelle. 
Hi, Curtis. Hi. Um, oh, my God, I just forgot your name. Nancy, I love you guys when you're on. Um, but I wanted to tell you that I'm in Morris County, New Jersey, and the bears are so bad here in Rockaway Township. Curtis, are you familiar with where Picatinny Arsenal is, the Army base? Yeah, I was in Morristown in the green. Uh, I was giving a speech one time to the Tea Party. That's where I collapsed, and uh, well, that's when they determined that I had uh, um, I had uh, chron- chronic Crohn's disease. Uh, that was the time. But I oh. know where the armory is. I just haven't been to it. Okay, it's, so that's where I live, and it's it's in Rockaway Township, and the bears are really bad. We have a mom. And two cubs that are here about once a week at least, right here. And they're, you know, they're going through the garbage, tearing everything up, and they're not really afraid of anybody. So out here, I kind of agree with it. I, I'm kind of happy that that um, Governor Murphy is actually bringing back the bear hunt. Well, I hate to tell you. Michelle, explain exactly what the mother bear and the two cubs do and uh, why they're considered a menace to the neighborhood. Um, well, so far, just the garbage. I haven't seen any incidences of um, any animals like pets getting attacked or anything, but just the garbage so far. And I think like some accidents, you know, you know, people hitting bears and stuff here. Wouldn't it wouldn't it suffice just to properly uh, sort of uh, put the garbage in containers that a bear cannot figure out how to open up? We did do that. I had it. We had screws put in. We had the key, the lock. It's not a lock, but you know, like when you latch your animal, like on a on a leash. We had that. We had bungee cords, and the bear still got to it. So we did do our best to try to. Wow, you mean they're very dexterous uh, with their paws, and they figured it out. Yeah, and very, very, very. Now, Nancy, what do you say? Here's Michelle. She's obviously an animal lover, but uh, the bears are overwhelming her community in Morristown. Well, I mean, again, I'm not sure how, uh, you know, quickly they uh, repopulate, but my guess would be that if this bear was uh, taken out somehow, that there's another bear that's probably close by that might just sort of fill in the gap. So that's why it's it's always better to have the the methods where they're figuring out how to um, sterilize them. So, for instance, uh, you know, the, the money that has gone to New Jersey for those plans, they haven't mm-hmm. given any information really on really where that went or how it worked or if they did it, was it successful, was it not? Like, I mean, that would be information that would be useful to have to figure out, like, is there a way to do that? Because that's, that's really the more long-term plan. Absolutely. I agree. Any, yeah, I agree with that. And, no Michelle, uh, when the hunt is uh, licensed, which it is now, Murphy is uh, saying, okay, I'm going to license it briefly. Like in this case, a mother and her two cubs. Do the hunters actually shoot the mother and the two cubs? They're not supposed to. Um, so my husband's a hunter, and he's not going to do this hunt. But he said that um, So what the rules are, if you see a mom and cubs, you're not allowed to shoot the mom. But who's going to know? That's what my husband said. Who's going to know that there was two cups? Because they're going to run away, right, once they hear the gunshot. Sure. So there are going to be people who are going to not follow the rules. That's one problem. Wow, you would figure, look, we have sanctuaries for illegal aliens, right, who sometimes will do home invasions. (laughs) 
<laughs> and they're a menace to society. You would figure we'd have this figured out by now. Bear sanctuaries. I know, Curtis. I love when you play that song, too, The West Side Story. <laughs> oh, yeah, that's uh, my uh, illegal alien oh, update. Oh, I love it. I love you. Yeah, I know all the time. But, no, no, you've given, you've given us some good food for thought. I Just in my mind, I'm looking at a mama bear with the two cubs. And like you said, sometimes hunters get uh, trigger fingers. Yeah, there's a weight station, too, right up the road from me. Yeah, so you kill the bear, the mother bear, and what becomes of the cubs as they scurry away? Oh, God. All right, thanks for for taking my call, Curtis and Nancy, and have a good night. Anytime. Our number is 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. WABC. The Curtis Sliwa Show presents Curtis's Ark with Nancy Sliwa. Now, with Nancy Sliwa, here's Curtis Sliwa. It's uh, cold out there. The hawk is talking, ladies and gentlemen. And uh, it's been declared a cold blue zone here in the five boroughs of the city of New York. And it's always warmer in the city than it is in surrounding suburbs or rural areas. So, Nancy, if you could just repeat, there's so many animals who are out, some who live in the wilds, some who may be out there in a the yard or kept out there. What should people be doing about the animals who, I mean, this this is as treacherous to animals as it is to humans. Code Blue gives the city authorities the right at the Department of Health to remove people from the streets, the subways, and the parks and bring them into a shelter. Yeah, I mean, obviously, if it's um, a pet of yours, you absolutely should be bringing that pet indoors. Um, if there's animals that are outside, um, ones that you consistently feed or ones that you know of, you know areas where they seem to gather, uh, you know, I mean, anything you can do, like, to keep them a little warmer. So uh, opening something up where they can avoid the wind, um, you know, having anything where you know, boxes, anything insulated, uh, something they they can go into. So, you know, and then also making sure that you're putting down uh, food and water because things like that, especially, you know, in the morning, tonight, but, you know, because it's so cold, uh, water will freeze, right? So then they'll get dehydrated, any animals that are outdoors. So you, that you have to be consistent with that because it'll freeze quickly and then get dehydrated. Now, the other thing, as you had mentioned at the start of the show, uh, many of these animals will crawl underneath a car, especially if it just was parked because of the heat coming from the motor. Uh, There have been so many instances where a person comes back out to their truck or their car uh, at the start of the day. They start up, the engine starts up, the fan starts rotating around, and it slaughters the animals uh, you had suggested what in order to try to see if any animals are under the hood? Yeah, I mean, you know, just uh, uh, like, you know, sort of knocking on the top of the hood, um, you know, maybe like, you know, knocking on the side of you know, the panel. So this way, if anything uh, was in there, this way they'll just, you know, be inclined to scurry out and you don't have to worry about injuring them when you start the car. Yeah, and also just uh, as a double preventative, uh, maybe even beep your horn. Because, you know, if all of a sudden a, a, let's say, a cat or a squirrel or some other animal is burrowed inside, uh, 
they'll hear that horn and they'll definitely scurry away. You know what? And that's actually a really good idea too with um you know, people who have the automatic starters, you know, especially in cold mornings, sometimes they don't want to go out. So before you do that, just have the horn beeping for a minute so something can scurry out before you start it. Very important because uh, the animals are going to seek warmth. And let's face it, you just parked your vehicle, your truck, your pickup truck, your car, your van. Mm-hmm. There it is, that engine. That's the warmest thing uh, <laughs> in proximity to those animals. Now, speaking of animals, there's a story here that a lot of people were scratching their heads. A Manhattan woman whose dog had plunged to its death, gets her other animals back? How the hell did that happen? Yeah, so I'm not sure how it happens, right? Um, uh, So this woman, uh, she lives in a third-floor apartment, and she has, I think, a total of 10 animals, uh, mainly dogs, and she always has the windows open in this residence she has. So people had been neighbors and, uh, you know, the people who work in the building, like the super, things like that. Oh, you know, making, you know, telling her, look, you know, I'm seeing your dog. Your dog's on the ledge. Your dog is going to fall. No, nah, it's fine. It's fine. And then the dog winds up falling, uh, you know, a couple of weeks ago, like 3 a.m. in the morning and uh, winds up dying as a result of the injury. So, Initially, they take her in, they do like an evaluation, and they take all of her animals, they bring them to animal care and control, and so supposedly she got evaluated, she's fine, and so since she's fine, that means that she's okay to have her pets back, so as soon as she gets home, then they return the pets back to her, and the neighbors, people outraged, like, how can you give the pets back, because of, you know, her clear inability to, you know, properly care for, you know, this dog that it, that it got out. But then they show, um, you know, like her apartment. Now, again, right, so it's an older woman. And, uh, you know, she's trying to say, oh, well, you know, look, I'm doing the best I can. Right, that's, that's a, you know, maybe that's understandable. But in, internally in her apartment, it's like very, it's like she's hoarded. She's like a hoarder, Right. So all these items, so the same way she has these animals, it doesn't seem like she can appropriately care for these animals in this apartment when you see this thing. And it's like this is a really bad situation for everybody. Yeah, it doesn't make sense. And that sort of reminds me, I'm a hoarder too. Uh, if not for you, constantly cleaning out the stuff that I bring home, uh, we'd be in a hoarding situation like the Colliers brothers. They accused me of uh, being a hoarder here at WABC also with my piles of newspaper. So, man, I I can relate to that. Anyway, let's go to the phones. Let's go to Dave in New Jersey. Your turn to be heard here on the Animal Welfare Hour at WABC, Dave. Hi, uh, Curtis, uh, first-time caller. I just want to say thanks. Really enjoy your show. Uh, just regarding the bear hunt topic, you know, I feel like there's just not enough effort put into uh, the the protection that you need for things like garbage, things that attract the bears. You know, we have places all over this country that, of course, aren't as densely populated, but have the mechanism mechanisms in place that the right kind of garbage can. Your, your previous caller didn't have the right 
tools for the job. So the bear got in. But there are plenty of garbage cans, tons of designs of different ways to keep bears out. And if you, you know, don't give them any reason to come near you, they're really just interested in food. And we do a better job as a community. Maybe all these millions of dollars spent on all this, like you said, waste of stuff for political reasons. Put some of that money into giving people the tools they need to keep the bears away. And, you know, you probably still need a hunt, I guess. I don't know. you got to keep the hunters, uh, you know, involved. It's, it's a, like you said, a big country, and they are a part of the community as well. Yeah, but, but, but Dave, I, I got to tell you, that image of a, a mother bear with her two cubs. Oh, my gosh. I, you, agree. You, I agree. You're going to shoot the mother bear, and then what's oh. going to happen to the cubs? No, ethical hunters wouldn't do that, but, you know, you're absolutely right, especially around here, the dense population we have. You know, it's a lot of different mindsets, you know, probably a little bit more consistent in areas where they do it for food as well. No, no, understood. Let's go to Rich in New Jersey. Uh, welcome to the Animal Welfare Hour here at WABC, Rich. Thank you for accepting my call. I have been following you for years and years and years, and I'm really glad to finally speak to you. I live in New Jersey. Right now I'm sitting in a car in Rockaway, New Jersey, and um, I've had a home for 40 years in Rockaway. I had a bear living under my house for two years, didn't even know it. Finally, some man walking his dog would tell me he saw the bear coming up from under the house and going under. (laughs) It was incredible, but I never had an interaction with the bear. There were five Asian people, youths, walking in a forest not far from where I live, and um, there was a bear bear trailing them, and they panicked. They split up and ran, which triggered the predatory response. The bear chased them down and killed one of them. That was up in West Milford, New Jersey. Yeah, I, I remember, Rockaway, I remember that, that situation. I remember yes. that. A few years ago, right. In Rockaway also, on, on the Internet, there's a mother bear. There's a video of a mother or a picture of a mother bear with five cubs trailing her. So I've heard you mention two a lot, but there many bears have three. And there was a mother with five in Rockaway. So uh, uh, let, 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 let's go back to your house. So underneath yeah. your house, for two mm-hmm. years, unbeknownst to you, right. a bear was living there. Yes, coming and going at night, in, in the wee hours at night. And I didn't find out until somebody told me, a neighbor told me, that a man walking a dog told this neighbor that, he saw every time he'd go by, well, occasionally, he'd see the bear coming or going from go, going down under my house. <laughs> True story. That's incredible. And, um, yeah. Um, it's very hard to uh, keep the bears away from garbage. They do make containers, and there should be more effort. Uh, it boils down to one simple rule, okay? Deny animals the food, they go somewhere else. That, that's a very basic, basic thing. Take away food. Animals don't hang around anymore. This is all kinds of animals. I know people that feed raccoons off their decks and, and feral cats and things like that. They don't have rodent problems, but that's the case. There's also uh, speaking to the police officers who work night shifts, and, of course, they all rotate. But I asked, have you ever seen mountain lions or cougars? And they tell me, yes. 
up on Green Pond Road or up in uh, in those uh, wilder areas by the forest. Yeah, we see them at night. They cross the roads. That's that's incredible. <laughs> I'm a resident here for 40 years. I didn't know we had a few mountain lions roaming around. <laughs> Apparently, you and, didn't even uh, know you yeah, had. A, right? You didn't have a bear under your house for two years. And then, and then <laughs> I'm looking out my kitchen window and I see a big bear coming with two grown cubs, two-year-old cubs. You can tell when they're two years old and they're ready, just ready to leave their mother. She comes up. I go to my back door and I crack the door a little bit. I see her walk by my back door. She goes through the bushes and opening the bushes. And at my neighbors, she puts her hands up like palm to palm around the doorknob. And she's rocking the doorknob, trying to open the back door of my neighbor's house to go in with her cubs. I saw this with my own eyes. Thank God that door was locked. A home invasion, a home invasion by Mama Bear and the two baby bears. It's, it's that it happens, and there's a lot of unreported incidents. One woman used to feed a bear off a back table in her yard, and that ba- that bear, I'm going to assume and tell you, assuming that bear was watching from the bushes or behind the trees or the edge of the forest, and she put the food, and then she'd go in her house or go away in her car. One day, she did not, Curtis, put the food out. That bear. Was angry. He came up. He broke through her back door and destroyed her kitchen. Looking for food, cabinets, refrigerators. They're very strong. They can they can they can actually get their claws into closed car doors and rip the doors off or rip the doors open to go into cars where people leave candy and Snickers bars and things like that around the car. Yeah, there's a lot of problems out here with bears. Well, uh, Nancy, uh, we got to have a conversation with your mom who's out there in bear country in Pennsylvania. Well, it it sounds like the problem was the lack of the food that one day. I mean, you you had a schedule, and then the schedule got missed. And then did a home invasion. And then a home invasion. Now, is there no cash bail for the bears if they get caught by law enforcement (laughs) trespassing in your home? Oh, yeah, no, boy. I think it's I, I think also birth control of some nature. I know they've talked about different ways, but you would think that's a way to uh, properly cull the herd so that you don't have to dispatch hunters to then go out there and kill bears to eliminate them. And then along the way, we know that some of the mama bears are going to be killed. There's just there's no way that they're going to – it's the perfect – oh, we're just going after the male bears. I, I just can't buy that. Oh, no, the, the state had dispersed funds for that purpose. It's just that there's no information that was given in terms of how the money was used or how successful that it was. So, I mean, again, given that the money was allotted and this is the more humane and – uh, you know, cl- like clear approach for success. Those are the numbers you really want to have. Well, I'm, like, I, 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 I mean, I'm, I'm, them. I'm just blown away that Rich had a bear under his house for two years <laughs> and didn't know it. Anyway, There's a lot of stuff going on around Rich. If uh, anyone would like to continue to engage you and get more information about what you do with the Guardian Angel Animal Protection Division, Nancy, how can they contact you? Um, well, guardianangels.org, uh, that's the website, or you can email me directly, nancy at guardianangels.org. 
Up next, a man who has said that he's afraid when he comes home in Pomona, New Jersey at night when there's a big bear in the driveway. And then I wonder if he goes running for cover. Dominic Carter. Oh, I got quite a few questions for our gumshoe reporter, Dominic Carter. WABC. Check this out. No one knows New York better. The founder of the Guardian Angels, Curtis Lewa. And you can't compete against that. On 77 WABC. James Golden, eat your heart out. You know, nothing about music when it comes to Curtis Lee. The classic Shylights, the coldest day in my life. Why, Dominic Carter? Because the hawk is talking out there. Oh, it is. It is. It is cold. It's cold. And uh, I'm going to get right down to it, Dominic Carter. Your pedigree is you busted your shoes as gumshoe reporter for many, many years. There was Gabe Pressman, and then upon his passing, it's Dominic Carter. Nobody knows how to report a story better than you. And now we see the elevation, actually the coronation of Hakeem Jeffries, a congressman from Brooklyn, who basically, um, Nancy Pelosi created the segue when she said, I'm leaving uh, this chamber. I will continue to serve as a congresswoman, but no longer as your majority leader. It's time for a new era. Immediately, Hakeem, who had been in waiting, like crooked Joe Crowley had been before him, but fell to AOC, or it would have been his his, uh, majority leadership. And right away, he said, I'm your majority leader. And I didn't hear anybody objecting, nobody. And I'm saying, wait a second. Slowly I turn, step by step. Hakeem Jeffrey, the nephew, his uncle, maybe the most virulent anti-Semite ever to exist in New York City, and that's saying a lot. Tenured professor at City University, chairman of Black Studies, Dr. Leonard Jeffries. Was every ethnic group involved in the making of Hollywood and the negative images of African peoples? Was every ethnic group involved in the making yes. of the Sambo image, in the making yes. of the Stephen Fletcher? Yes. Which was the ethnic group that had a particular interest in that, a particular influence in that? Why can't we get at the truth of that? That's not a defamation of all Jews. It's a defamation of European Jewry that was participating in white supremacy but in when America. You say things, reflecting when a you of white say supremacy. that, Professor Jeffries, there you go. You raise the flag of a whole group of people rather than... That was Charlie Rose back when he had his PBS show. In 1991, you couldn't turn on a TV without seeing the infamous Dr. Leonard Jeffries. In fact, he would speak about his um, beliefs. He wrote 10 books on this, about how Jews had controlled the slave trade through their synagogue in Amsterdam. Where do you want to start? Do you want to go to Amsterdam and get a book by Jonathan Israel? on European Jewry in the Age of Mercantilism, 1550 to to 1750. And there's a picture of the Amsterdam Synagogue. 
which was the center of slave trading for the Dutch. Amsterdam became a leading port in this period of time for slaving. And it was around the synagogue. Now, Dominic Carter, none of the reporters out there are going to go up to Hakeem Jeffries and say, do you renounce what your uncle has said before and continues to say he's still alive? Why? I mean, all they got to do is Google it. It's all there. It, it Legitimately, it's his nephew. He traveled to Egypt many times with Dr. Leonard Jeffries as Leonard Jeffries poisoned his mind about the supremacy of Nubian peoples before Christ, before B.C. They created flight. They created martial arts. And then he would blame the Jews for everything. Do you think uh, you'll have the ability to speak to the incoming majority leader of the House, Hakeem Jeffries, and ask him about his uncle? I, I promise you this. The next time I see Congressman Jeffries, I will ask him the question because it is a legitimate question. And it should have been asked, uh, frankly, by me and others uh, in the past. I've interviewed the congressman maybe three or four times in the last two years. And it's a question that, that should be asked. Dominic Carter... You're on 12 to 1 Monday through Friday. So it seemed to me now that he is a newsmaker. Might be appropriate to reach out to your friend, Congressman Hakeem Jeffries, and uh, invite him on. Ask him a few of these questions. So, so wait, so he's my friend now. Well, you know him. <laughs> he's friendly to you. And then you could also slip him the mickey and say, and Curtis Lewis says you only pay $200 in property taxes for a condo in Brooklyn Heights. When others are paying in the city five thousand, nine thousand dollars in property taxes for their condos, how come you're only paying two hundred dollars, huh? Yeah, I, I remember that story. Yeah, yeah, of course. You know where that story came from? Where? Thank you. You? Who else? <laughs> who knows where all the bones are buried and who buried them? You? You? That's, Thank you. That's Thank that's, you. that's fair. That's Ken, fair. I'm I'm going to be listening every night, twelve to one. Okay. And you really do. Folks, he really does. And I'm going to be waiting when you say, and on the line right now, we have Congressman Hakeem Jeffries. I've known him since he was the assemblyman in Brooklyn. He patiently waited. Nancy Pelosi stepped aside and made way for him to become the majority but, leader. But, but but he's probably not going to be doing many interviews these days. He doesn't, for this precise reason, he does not want these types of distractions these negative things that come up and perhaps derail him. Wait, this is brother to brother, man. He can't do that to a brother. He can do that to the McWhitey Whiteys, but he can't do that wait, to... Wait, wait, to, to the what? The brother, man. You said the Mc what? The McWhitey Whiteys. McWhitey Whiteys. Who are the press corps, you know. They can be bamboozled. He can't bamboozle you, Dominic. 